Welcome to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, the podcast that answers your questions about arcade repair and restoration. Now, here are your hosts, Eric and Chris. Welcome to Arcade Repair Tips, Episode 63. I'm your host, Eric, and with me, as always, is Chris. Me! Hey, yeah, that's me. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Chris? Great. Playful, I think, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just a little little, little crazy. It's kind of late, but we're going to plug and chug through this and, and make it happen. Well, how about this? What, what have you been doing? What <laughs> arcade-related? What, what new games do you have? Do you have any new games? I did. I just picked up a... Uh, I almost called it Galaga. Ugh, a Galaga cocktail table project, and it's, uh, it's doing pretty good. It's, uh, I've got the game boards working. Um, now I just need to focus on the the woodwork. Did did you get it for a good price? Pretty good price. I negotiated fairly <laughs> well, I think. <laughs> what uh, what what kind of condition is it in? Well, so the cabinets the cabinets um, a little rough. It needs to it needs the wood grain plastic sheathing put on it uh, and some some wood repair. But brand new monitor in it. Um, as I said, the game boards are in, in, in not bad shape. It looks like somebody attempted to fix it already and replaced all the socketed, uh, the, the sockets mm-hmm. on the board. So I'm already ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Those that, you know, the, you mentioned, you talked about the vinyl look to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the wood, the, the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Said the wrong thing. The wood grain look to the, to the, the wood side. grain ven- the veneer, wood, the wood grain laminate. vinyl veneer. <laughs> And for the long <laughs> for the longest time, you, you, I never you, there weren't any people that made that. But I just recently saw really? somebody has these very wide sheets uh, of I don't know if it's a veneer, I don't know if it's a laminate or just a very thin sticker for the side of it. So uh, really, it would, they didn't make it for a while. I I haven't seen it oh, anywhere. Wow. Hmm. Oh well, I'm glad it's back. <laughs> I had no idea it went away. I, how is wood grain out of style ever? <laughs> I don't know. How, so, how far are you going to go with this restoration? Are you? Do you just want it working, or are you going to make this look look nice? Oh no, I think this is. I think this is a good project where I I don't have any. I'm not in this like desperate need to put it in my house right now. So I think I can keep it out in the garage a little bit and remove the monitor and actually cut into the cabinet and use some putty and sand it down and actually finish it and and do it nice. This will be my first one doing something like that. So it'll either, it'll either look really, really nice or it will look like one of those uh, fail memes that you see on the (laughs) internet uh, where everything just looks wrong. So, you know, the, the, (laughs) it can always be fixed. (laughs) So, so cocktails. I, you think of cocktail cabinets as something to save space. You know, back ah, back in point. the day, the pizza parlors, the pizza huts, and they, you know, you always saw the cocktails. But I, I've had a couple of them, and they don't save space. They do if not. anything. They re- I think they require more room than your standard cabinet. I think by the time you add stools and seating and everything else um, to make it playable, it's twice the space of a stand-up arcade machine yeah it's like this takes up the requires like the size of a pinball machine yeah Yeah. and of course you know anybody anybody that's got that machine in their house 
Typically, it's like covered with papers. It starts becoming right. You know, it's a, a where you stand. put all your bills. And and I always wonder. I've always kind of thought that the cocktail table was kind of a misnomer because the minute you put a cocktail on it, you can't see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> or is it that you've had too many cocktails and you can't see what you're doing? I don't know which, but um, yeah. So it, it's still it's it's a nice specimen and. Um, you know, I, I, at first I thought I was going to pick up a Miss Pac-Man cocktail. So I was like, well, you know, maybe I can convert it to something. But no, this is Galaga. This is an awesome game. I think I would, I think for gameplay for it, to, Galaga is, is one that keeps, that stays fun longer than oh, yes. Miss Pac-Man. I but agree. that's, that's just an opinion. I, that's my, yeah, the, my opinion too has always been, I think Pac-Man bores me. Yeah. I can play Miss Pac-Man if it's got the speed up ROMs. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit oh, yeah. uh, later on in the podcast, but uh, no, it, it just—I think Pac-Man just is like to me is like watching grass grow. <laughs> uh, not to be too harsh, it just was ne- it was never my game. It was it was cool for the time, definitely is definitely groundbreaking. No, no uh, argument there, but it was just never my game. Okay, so here's let's so since we're talking about Pac-Man or Miss hmm. Pac-Man. Hmm. Sounds, music in arcade games. I'm going way off on a tangent here. This is Ooh, nothing okay. about repair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about the, the golden age of video games? Uh-huh. And when you think about the sounds and the music in the old games, what, what is something that, what, which, which, what music do you really remember? Like, oh, that really takes me back. Ooh. Uh, well, of course, Gyrus. Oh, um, that was, what's the, that's the classical music. Tocata in something, fugue, something. <laughs> Some classical crap. I don't know what it was, but it was awesome in, in Gyrus. Yeah, very upbeat, very, you know, got really got you going. When Hey, they had snare drums. It, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. That was awesome, right? So, But Miss Pac-Man, the, the chase, after you finish level five, right? The, the, second, the second intermission in between. on Miss, oh, uh, Miss Pac-Man. Okay, yeah. That's one of the best sounds oh, in really? arcade like music, that. I think. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that way. I mean, because back then, you know, it, it was very interesting. You had your console games that you had at home, the Atari 2600. And I, I don't know when the 5200 came around. Was that 82 uh, or something yeah, like that? I, I would... So anyway, in 1980, 1981, um, for an arcade machine to produce it, music at all was kind of a feat. Right. And it always sounded so awesome and and uh, unique, and it didn't have the usual blip-blip of Pong. Um, I think, but I think that's that's one of the things that was unique about the Pac-Man boards. It was elegant simplicity for their sound circuits. And right. it just made a very rich-sounding uh, experience that was difficult to emulate. Jungle Hunt. Jungle Hunt, Jungle King, the background music on it. That's a good one. Yeah? No? Do you remember it? Oh, look. What's that over there? I don't know. No, yeah, I remember it. <laughs> it was, <laughs> um, yeah, that one. You know, I got to think about that. That's, um, that's pretty interesting because, of course, my, the, the game of my time, the, the sound wasn't so much the theme. It was the speech, and my favorite game, of course, was Astro Blaster, and it had the most awesome speech ever. Um, even of its time, it used a, a different kind of speech chip that most games didn't use. Um, my God, wow. Hmm. Of course, Donkey Kong. Oh, I love oh Donkey right. Kong, right. Um, 
What else would have been a, a good game? God, yeah. That's... Uh, I didn't give you any time to ponder that. Didn't, you so. did not. I did not. And I'm not really like a guy that pulls lists out of the, out of thin air very well. So, um, yeah. Okay. No, so we're, we're now that. we're now off the tangent. We'll, oh, d- oh, we're back. Circle circle back to reality. So <laughs> you've got the new Galaga, and uh, it's and it's working right you said it's working yeah the boards are working they're on the bench uh so it's all cosmetic now it's all cosmetic now oh great but it it came so it was a pretty good deal in that it came with a brand new reproduction overlay for the for the tabletop yeah i guess they i guess you would call that an underlay it's under underlay underlay, underlay, under the glass over yeah right sure Okay, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I, 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 I think it is. I think for that one, for the cocktails, it's uh, for those midway cabinets. It's an underlay. Well, there you go. New one of those. Excellent. So, Excellent. Hey, I'm good. So yeah, it's 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 not bad. It's it's one of those nice projects that you know it's it's going to be very easy. It's going to need some work. It's going to be some time consuming work, but it it will uh, definitely be a beautiful piece at the end of the day. Excellent. Yeah. So what about you? Well, I, I've, I did pick up... Well, I had the option of picking up several games. This was just this past weekend, weekend before, a local go-kart track from back in the 80s and 90s um, went out of business. They had an arcade, a go-kart track, batting cage, arcade. And they went out of... Uh, the arcade part went out of business back in the mid-90s. And now they're being forced to move, so they uh, got rid of all of their uh, their games. They sold quite a few of them when they closed, but they had Ooh. about 15 games left. How do left. you guys find out about these <laughs> deals? I always feel so you out know, of the loop. Here's what's interesting, or what I think is interesting, is it was on Craigslist, but the telephone number was wrong. <laughs> Ouch! And uh, so I, I, they, the area code was like, well, this is close to our area code. Let me just substitute what I think he meant to put in for his oh, area code. Oh man! And I, and now I wasn't the only one that had that logic. There were there were other collectors in our uh, community that uh, figured that out as as well. But uh, I, there were once again there were about fifteen games left. We were not the a buddy of mine, uh, and I went there to go get uh, get what we could. And as we arrived, we ran into uh, a couple. We <laughs> as we were pulling in, we saw some of the other local collectors there. I they, swear, when you get when these things go on, I bet you it's just <laughs> like the movie The Usual Suspects. It's the same guys that show up. It's all all six of you. I know no, you've got What track. was the movie? What was the movie from the '60s? The Scavenger Hunt. Uh, <laughs> Thing uh, with all the big stars in it, where they were uh, around the world in eighty days. No, no, no. They redid it with Mister Bean in the uh, oh. ten years ago. It's a mad, mad, mad oh. world. That's oh. what it is. It's a race. It's a the race. Rat race. It's a rat race. Yeah, it's yeah, a race to get awesome. the game. So it's funny. We pulled <laughs> it. We pulled in with the you know had the trailer in tow. He knew we were coming. And we saw uh, some of the other collectors, and we just laugh. And we all know each other. We're uh, Eric. Eric, Eric, Eric. <laughs> what? Not a phone call to your buddy here <laughs> well, at, our, at the arcade podcast. Let no. me let me tell oh. you what was there before before you jumped. <laughs> oh, that's true. Jumped, that's true. Jumped to the guilt trip. Uh, he told me what he had, but you know, no pictures. But he he told me the backstory of it, and these things had been in an eighteen wheeler trailer. 
And now your first assumption is that it's a nice sealed trailer, so it's you know it, worst <laughs> this case isn't Texas. On it. <laughs> it's worse than hell inside one of these trailers in the summertime. <laughs> uh, so he told he told me what was in it, and it was you know a few eighties classic games, um, but mo- most of the games had already been converted to something else. So a lot of uh, fighting games from the nineties. Um, and he, he, he told me what he remembered the titles being and all he he said, there's a pinball machine in there, laser something and a, uh, uh, these mortal, mortal combat or street fighter or something like that. This is, these are his words. So, so, well, we're, we're on our way. We're, we're coming. We're, we'll see, we'll see what you have. And he, the pinball machine was a. Williams laser war laser. I don't know. I looked it up. It's a wide body system six Williams game. Ooh. So it puts it at late seventies. Uh, play field was, was blown out. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Oh, Oh, I, I, I forgot to mention this part, that 18 wheeler trailer that is, you know, nice and sealed up for the past 20 years was not, not sealed up <laughs> big holes in the floor. Uh, holes in the roof, so the pinball machine was was water damaged pretty bad. So, yeah, so, but playable, right? Oh, far from playable. <laughs> Unfortunately, this one is this one is for parts. The pinball machine is for parts. The cabinet was the back box. The cabinet they were just destroyed. The play field was blown out. It you know even if you got this thing working, it's still a uh, you know a, not a desirable machine. But right. but that's okay. You know what what that will be that will be a donor so that other machines can work. Good displays, you know, a few boards, all the yeah. I can I can take what's what's still good on it. Right. Um, there was a uh, our friends who were there. I won't name names, but they got the good stuff. The good stuff was uh, there was a tempest. A uh, there were several vector games. There was a um, battle zone, maybe I believe a battle zone. There was a gravitar there. Ooh. That one you don't see very much. Not at all. Uh, I don't think any of them were working. But you know, how often do you find a you know these classic vector games that haven't been touched in twenty years? Not very often. <laughs> so the good the good games were acquired already. So. We got, uh, uh, there was a versus Nintendo cabinet. No, sorry, not the versus. It was the Unisystem, which is the gray Nintendo cabinet. All right. Uh, but basically, this, this is the same thing, just in a different color cabinet. Uh, pole position and about five cabinets, all fighters that had been converted from older. Older cabinets, older Williams cabinets, and they were not in great shape. So you did not miss out. Ah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Not bad. <laughs> but I mean, you know, given the recent news that's come out uh, all over Facebook, if you're an arcade collector and you, you get anything that's shared through friends, you're seeing that there are articles all over the place about how the end of the 80s arcade game is here because nobody's manufacturing picture tubes anymore. 
And uh, there, there's quite a bit of scuttle and discussion, and, and most of the serious collectors that are out there are going, no, there's plenty of donor tubes around. If it's in a home environment, they're going to be around. So, right. So at the very least, for these games, even if they're, they're converted cabinets, hey, they're golden for their picture tubes. Right. So, and, and I'm stockpiling. I don't know if you are or not, but I have in my attic space over the garage, anytime I get a monitor that's in just – mediocre to good condition it goes up i don't care what brand it is i just i throw it up there and there will be an end to the availability of crt screens for arcade uh, machines but i don't think we're close to it it's going to be a long time a long long time until that happens right well so that's my acquisition i think that's my only acquisition uh since the last time we talked um, yeah, that's, I think that's everything. Awesome. So how, how about awesome. events coming up? There's a huge event coming up in just a couple of weeks, right? There is? There is. Oh, yeah, of course there is. I made <laughs> reservations already. Yes, we are going to the Texas Pinball Festival in it's Dallas area. What is it? It's the north. Is it Frisco? Frisco. It's, it's in Frisco. North, north area, north side of Dallas. Yep. The fancy side is of that dallas. the fancy side of dallas i think all of most of dallas is the is fancy <laughs> <laughs> if you say Compared so to houston right if you say so <laughs> no 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 offense to to our dallas listener i'm sure we have one up there but um <laughs> i joke always um but yeah so so that's going to be happening two weeks from uh, the 20 is it the 24 the weekend that encompasses the 24th of march and it is an enormous yes. show. Huge. Every year you see the attendance go up. You see people coming in from further and further away. If you're on the forums, I know on Pinside people are talking. There's a guy coming in from Australia, one of the guys that's posting all the time. He's coming in. For, you know, just all. Oh, wow. Last year, the uh, the I guess the, what would you call it, the... Um, owner of Pinside, the, uh, uh, the, the person who started Pinside, the, uh, fr- came in from, oh. from, uh, Europe, somewhere in Europe, uh, to the, to the show. It's, but it's a huge show. It's enormous. I think the last time I was there, it had to have been what, five, four or five years ago. So it was at um, the, a different uh, it was location. At Anatole. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that show, it was, it was wall to wall games, and I think the showroom in there was. They said somebody said it was the size of a, a football field. Well, the, I know at that location, it was I think fifteen thousand square. I know they've yeah. tripled in size. Yeah, and I think somebody that I was talking to today had mentioned very casually is around seventeen thousand square feet. No, no, the new location size. is it bigger? I think I know. I think it's like forty thousand. Oh, is it forty? Yeah, oh, I think it. I think okay. it tripled since the Anatole. Um, really, I, I believe so. I guess I, I guess I can Holy look up moly. this little piece of trivia as wow. we're talking. That's awesome. But anyway, but so you know what? That doesn't good. matter. You need to go. You need to go. If you've never been to a show this size, you need to go. And there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend. Actually, two uh, appearances there this week that I think are kind of cool. One of them is um, if you remember the movie uh, Flash Gordon, featuring uh, the music. The music of Queen in the background. Uh, Sam Jones, who played Flash Gordon himself, is going to be making an appearance along with... Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. 
Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yes. <laughs> However, she will not be dressing up as Elvira, but yes. she will be there. She will be autographing whatever you bring for a minimal price. <laughs> yes. Just like, a, you know, no different than like a Comic-Con. For, uh, but, you know, you, if you bring your back glass from your, your Elvira game, and who knows, maybe there will be an announcement of a new Elvira game. Or even your back glass from your Flash Pinball. Even, which is exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> For a small fee. For a small oh, fee. Welcome to America, land of the fee. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it's we, all good. <laughs> but it's going to be a great time. Anyway. Lots of new pinball machines unveiled there. Quite a few, I think. And they just announced today that the Houdini pinball machine will be unveiled there. So Who's lot, making that one? That's uh, that's going to be, oh, who is the company? It's It's the... It's the Papa Duke um, uh, new game, and I, there's a new company that took over the production of it, and I can't think of their name right Ooh. now. Pin, uh, anyway, interesting. And I saw something on the uh, the Multimorphic stuff where they're right. releasing another four, four games or something like that. So bringing their their game total to eight or ten uh, mm. in their offerings. So I'll be interested to see that every year they seem to be offering something more and more refined with their platform. It's um, always interesting to see what they have because they're they really try to push the envelope on new technologies, things you know, just things that have never been done before on a pinball machine, mm-hmm. and you know, a bit of it's it's sometimes it's unconventional things, but that's that's where you get the new stuff. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't, but you know, you got to have somebody pushing new technology to see what uh you know oh definitely and and actually and with the new manufacturers that are out on the market right now they are they are coming up with very nice unique features that are are giving the the old standard uh stern a run for their money and making stern probably rethink a little bit of their strategy as far as standing still on their development platform right you wonder when they would when stern would have introduced the lcd screen had jersey jack not done it mm-hmm. several years ago mm-hmm. i'm sure they would have regardless but you know maybe it expedited the process if- oh yeah definitely i for me for me it's always been sound i think uh, you know it, it it's very very easy these days using off-the-shelf pc hardware to produce 16-bit stereo sound and it just for the longest time it was it was mono. It was twelve bit. Mm-hmm. It was scratchy. You know, some. So yeah, the game has been upped on the pinball world. And I think oh, okay. And the Ed was it Robertson from the Bare Naked Ladies, the the music group. He's he announced a couple of days ago that he's going to be there. Oh, and just for just for fun, he's a he's a big pinball enthusiast, and he's going to show up and challenge you to a game i suppose nice just just hang out and i saw him there a few years back and he was i talked to him briefly he's a real nice guy awesome Uh, awesome and and you know just the usual crew of (laughs) of of the pinball designers i think steve ritchie's gonna be i you know they're most of the guys are gonna be there just just go just go it's 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 probably one of the bigger shows that that go on and and there's a lot that happens at this event um so it's never boring if you're in the if you're in the market for a new pinball machine this is this is this is where you would go to get it there's gonna be plenty of plenty of games for sale Mm mm-hmm Awesome. Well, good, and I think that's you know as far as this area, I think that's all that's coming up soon that I know about. Yeah. yeah. So if you want more information on that, I think it's just texaspinball.com. 
Um, if it's not, that, if it's not that, Google that it. That Google function works very well. Texas Pinball Festival. Yes, my mind, not so much. Google always works well. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I think that's all the announcements to make all for right. now. I think what we're going to do now is go into a continuation of what you uh, spoke of last last podcast. You were talking about static RAM and specifically your Tempest and your problem with static RAM. So, oh yes, yes. So I think this was the this was the part of the podcast where I wanted to start kind of every podcast covering different components that are used in uh, classic arcade machines that are used to build the system boards. Uh, so that it, it removes the mystery that it's a flat board full of little little square plastic chips with a bunch of pins in them. You can actually get to understand maybe the the functional background of how these games work. So uh, if you re- recall from the last podcast, and if you didn't listen to the last podcast, go ahead and, and give it a listen, uh, if just for this section, because this is kind of part two um, of our my discussion on RAM and memory for uh, microprocessor systems. So last time I talked a little bit about how you could uh, picture RAM as sort of a bunch of little cubby holes that you can stuff values into and that you have an address bus that you can create an address um, to call out one of those specific cubby holes and then the data lines that are associated with the data values that come out of it. Well, that's, uh, that's referred to as a static RAM. And I'm not sure if I even um, mentioned that, that once you write a value into that, then you can pretty much leave that device alone. And as long as there's power, the data will stay there. And then you can go back later at any time and, and, and fetch that data or rewrite that data or anything like that. It, it just, it stays there. Uh, and that's why it's called static. The data is very static. Now we are going to come to something called uh, a dynamic RAM. And you might notice um, if you were looking at schematics of say one of the classic Williams arcade games like Williams or, or like Williams, like joust or Robotron or, um, or something of, of that class of machine. And you would look at the RAM on the board, and it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't see all of the signals that he was talking about. I only see one data bit. Um, and I only, see, I only see a few address lines. Um, not sure how I understand how this works. And there's a few other control signals that are on that that I'll go over. So as I said, recall with static RAM that it's just a flat address bus. So... Dynamic RAM works slightly differently in that there's a couple of additional control lines that you need to consider. One is marked RAS or RAS. One is marked CAS, CAS. Both both of those stand for row address select and column address select. And then you have a smaller number of address lines. Um, So on, say, a 4116 chip, which is standard in a Robotron machine. You've got address lines 0 through 6, so there's 7 address bits there. And if you know your binary math, you would say, hey, wait a minute, that's only 128 locations. Well, if you first present on the address bus a row address, you can address 128 rows, 
And then the column address is 128 columns. And if you multiply 128 by 128, you get... Oh man, is it sixteen six fifty? Which one? Oh, uh, I believe it would be sixteen k. Yeah, sixteen. The actual okay. Yeah. So so in that little fourteen pin dip chip, you've got sixteen k of memory, one data bit, which is why mm-hmm. <laughs> you have uh, m- multiple banks and rows of um, of these RAM chips in your machine. Is that uh, you would say banks of eight chips to produce a full byte. I guess you could kind of think of that as like everybody knows Microsoft Excel, right? So you could think at the top you have your... Oh, that's a great example. Isn't it? I think so. Thank you. That's better than the <laughs> cubbyhole thing. I, I, <laughs> and I apologize for my cubbyhole analogy, but when I was... <laughs> that's funny now that I think about it. When I was learning programming on my VIC-20, Excel didn't exist yet. <laughs> Spreadsheets were kind of a new thing. <laughs> So, thank you. Great example. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, so when you have Excel, you have the individual cells, and those would be the actual memory locations. And across the top, you have going, you know, starting with uh, A on the far left-hand side. It goes all the way through Z, and then it goes, what does it do? It does AA, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, so you could think of, of course, those are the columns. And the rows just start at, at one, or does it start at zero? But anyway, it's, it's the same concept. Right, exactly. So if you were to go 128 columns out and 128 rows down, you would have a total of 16,384 cells that you could put a value in. Now, admittedly, in this dynamic RAM, your value is either going to be zero or one. It's so that, it's bit. that many bits. Not that many bytes, but that many bits. That many bits. And so that's why you would you would bank these together with eight chips to form a byte. Um, so, so that, that seems a little um, long in the tooth, as it were, to kind of get to your data. But it, it works rather well. Um, but there is a catch to this capacity, because that's a pretty good bit capacity in a rather small package. Um, so the... The downside of dynamic RAM is the nature of it being dynamic, is that when you write your bit into a memory location, it'll stay there for a little bit, but if you don't continually address all of the rows, and meaning like you've got to stop uh, once every 60th of a second and address all of your rows, um, then the data will become lost. It's kind of a, a lossy capacitor that's holding your bit and every time you do a read it refreshes that charge in the cell so that seems like that's a lot of background work just to maintain your data but if you heard that earlier where every 60th of a second you have to go and read those rows what man sort of circuit that, does that fit that that number sounds familiar one sixtieth of a second why that's the vertical refresh that is so if you're tying your 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 dynamic ram into video memory then you're going to be reading those columns anyway as part of clocking out your your video picture data in memory and you can also use a portion of that memory 
for CPU functions, and that's exactly what the Williams hardware does. Excellent. So, um, so the, yeah. So that, that and then and there's other slight differences, such as um, on the four one one six. Excuse me. Uh, the data line is actually two pins. One is for inputting data into the chip, and one is for reading data out. So. Uh, aside from some steering logic, it shouldn't be that difficult to interface one of these chips as a regular uh, microprocessor memory resource. But that's the background behind dynamic RAM and static RAM and kind of the difference that static RAM tends to be a little bit more expensive, less dense in terms of capacity for a given chip size, while dynamic RAM is very cheap, um, very dense, and uh, highly functional. And I guess as far as which which type of RAM you would use for different func- functions, the dynamic RAM you're going to be using the the um, program that's running the uh, game code can use that as kind of like a scratch pad memory, mm-hmm. temporary memory to run its program. Uh, you can uh, put the data in there for the output to the screen. It's all going to be you know as soon as you kill power to the game, you're going to lose it. Static RAM, many times the older games, static RAM is going to be backed up with a battery. Uh, very can or can can be if it yeah. needs to be if the data needs to be retained, which is a very common feature. Mm-hmm. You know when, when you go into your game setup and you you know okay I'm going to set it for two quarters one play and all your games all your game settings are going to be retained in your static RAM. Yeah. Now uh, I guess I don't know maybe starting in in the ninety maybe the mid nineties static RAM you 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 had a different they came out with uh, some non volatile memory where your your static ram uh, did not require a battery backup but all mm-hmm. of your older games that had a nicad battery or AAA batteries the the per, those batteries were supplying power to your static ram when the game is turned off so it retain so you can retain all of your bookkeeping settings mm-hmm. all of your game settings and and so on yeah so that that kind of poses a question or uh, had made me ask a question in my mind of, well, you know, between the differences of the two, why would you use one over the other? And I think a lot of the early, especially the earlier designs would use the more expensive static RAM because it's just easier to interface with a microprocessor. It's the, the pinouts on it are very native. On the other hand, when you're using dynamic RAM, you have to add additional circuitry to drive the refresh and uh, decode sort of functions so it's it can be a little bit more expensive to implement but the amount of data that you can store in a ram uh, memory area is a lot more right excellent well thank you for all that information very good hopefully hopefully y'all's brains haven't exploded but um (laughs) feel free to go back and look at some of that and actually just go go and look at some of the pinouts and and schematics and, and just you don't even have to understand it, but now that you look at those those dynamic RAMs, you're going to understand what those different pins are a little bit more, and uh, what you should be seeing on those. If you have exactly. a scope, what you should be seeing on those pins, and and so on. So that's yes. that's great. Thank you, awesome. thank you for that, Chris. And we're going to plan on doing something like this every month. So if there is a particular uh, something of interest that you would like us to talk about, please let us know. I think next month I'm going to be talking about switch mode power supplies, yeah. what the difference is between them and linear power supplies, why you should use one, why you shouldn't use one, uh, the components of how they work, what they what they do. So once again, if there's something you would like us to talk about, 
drop us a line. And where could they send an email, Chris? Oh my goodness! Over Do you not internet? remember? Over the internet <laughs> or on their phone? Podcast um, oh, at arcaderepairtips.com. dot com. Podcast at arcaderepairtips.com. Hmm. I think I'll try and remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to get straight into the questions. Uh, straight into the questions. Thirty five minutes later, right? Uh, is that how long it's been? It feels like it was only a minute to me. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll kick off reading this one. Is that okay. okay? All right. We got one from Joystick Knight with a K. I realize you may have been asked before, but what is required to get the modded faster variation of Miss Pac-Man? Is this mod available for Pac-Man as well? Are there uh, other existing mods for other games? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes. It's, the, it's the answer to all those questions. Miss Pac-Man, okay, the, the mod that we're speaking, first of all, the mod that we're talking about for Miss Pac-Man, this is the speed up chip or the speed up mod or mm-hmm. whatever wording you'd like to use for that. They, all the EEPROMs um, uh, that on, on the game board have numbers like, uh, this one in particular is going to be 6F. So it's like a matrix. When you look at the silk screening on the game board, uh, you'll have rows and columns, uh, you, you know, a, a through O or whatever, and, you know, one through nine, and you just, <laughs> it's it's like battle. It's like the, the game Battleship, <laughs> right? <laughs> you sank my EPROM. <laughs> you sank my 6F. <laughs> So you will have to get a an e a new EEPROM for it, and there, are, you know, you you probably actually could go on uh, you can go on eBay, eBay and, and get the the ROMs. I, the, yeah. What is it? A Hobby ROMs, I think, is one of the companies that will burn them for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and or you know, of course, if you're if you have your own EEPROM burner, they're they're simple. You can easily acquire the the ROM image for it. Yes. Uh, it's in Mame. I mean, if you get the, uh, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. It, it, yeah. you, right. So, as far as the other games go, you know, miss. So, what this does, you know, actually, it doesn't just speed the whole game up, does it? It speeds up your. It does speed the ghosts up, but it speeds you up more percentage wise than the ghosts. So does it, it speed the ghosts up? Yeah. It well, it you know, there's probably variations of it. I the think one, I think you can set. Yeah, different parts of the program are going to act as timers for how fast somebody can move through the maze. So I think that's all programmable. They just have to find the right bite and change it. But in in my experience, for the Pac Man ones, it made the game easier. Oh. Uh, yes, definitely, you can totally outrun it, the ghosts. It, it, right, and Galaga Galaga was a common one that mm-hmm. was, and they did they they created the speed up version of Galaga pretty. Or, I mean, I remember it maybe back in the yeah back in the eighties, just a few mm. years after the game was introduced, which lets you fire. Faster. Yes, the bullets move up to the top of the screen much faster. So your ship moves left to right just as fast as it mm-hmm. did before. The enemies are the same speed as they were, but you can fire faster. Yes. And yes, there are there are mods for many of the yeah. games out there. There's you know free free play mods or you know I know they, I've made a couple of them. You have. Uh, so yeah, I made I made a free play ROM for Astro Blaster. Oh. That was a common game that didn't have it and. Uh, I went in there and just uh, knew how to disassemble the code and figure out where I needed to jump out, check a dip switch, set the uh, the credits to where it would start the game. Um, I think I also modded Robotron and Joust 
for a pause button. So oh, when wow. you're in the middle of a game, you can press player one and it'll just pause the game. The restroom break button. The restroom break button, exactly. <laughs> so the answer, yes, real real easy to do. Just you know, one one new ROM for it, and uh, it's you know, yeah. easy peasy. E- easy peasy for most of them. So some of them do require multiple EPROMs, but if you've got the capacity to burn your own, they're out there uh, on the internet. You should be able to find them. Yes. Okay. On to the next one. This one is from C Cook. I have an arcade cabinet that has a horizontal CRT and two joysticks with three buttons each. I'm having difficulty selecting a multi-game board that works best for a horizontal upright machine with only three buttons for each player. My question is, would I still be able to play all the games on a multi-cade slash game elf board that require three buttons or less? Could I somehow disable the games that require buttons four, five, and six? Any help is appreciated. Thanks. I'm leaving this up to you. You're the the multi multi board multi board expert uh, <laughs> okay well that's a good it sounds like there's there's it's a two part question as far right. as whether or not you can find a multi board that plays on horizontal um and then filter the games for the three button games right so the the answer to this is all the all the multi boards that uh, that are available, the, well, at least the majority of the ones, the ones I've dealt with, yes, they all have the ability to turn specific games on or off. A real common one. Now he he mentions the game elf board, or I've you know heard it called blue elf. Very variations of different words and the word elf. <laughs> uh, and those are the ones that have just hundreds and hundreds of games on them. Uh, a little bit of you know larger board, um, but they all you can all, all with all of those boards you can turn specific games on and off. Uh, a real common one is the nineteen and one board. Just just as we mm-hmm. talk about the sixty and one board, which is the vertical orientation uh, board, which is you know like your Miss Pac Man and Galaga and all that. You have the nineteen and one board, which has uh, you know Mario Brothers and uh, what all does it have? It has some of the Williams games on it, like I think Robotron oh. is on it. And same same situation. You can turn on and off whichever games you so desire. Now, he has a control panel with uh, just the three buttons with each joystick, which is also the standard pin layout for a JAMA harness. A JAMA harness is... Uh, right. Kind of the default JAMA harness is meant for three, you know, two joysticks with three buttons each. So how about the games that uh, have four buttons, five buttons, six buttons? How do you do that? Well, you actually kind of alter the, uh, and the alter is not the right word. You take some of the wires on the JAMA harness. Uh, it's it's kind of at the end. You know, I should have pulled up the harness so I could tell you which letter it was. But uh, you take some of the pins that are meant to be ground, and they will use them as the additional uh, buttons for it. Uh, real easy to do. You just you know you're already going to have the wires there, and you just repurpose them as additional uh, you know your additional buttons for it. Real real easy to do. Did some Jamma games have like a separate? Auxiliary connector yes. that was so. Used? If you had like uh, what did I have recently? A Soul Soul Caliber was that it? I don't know. Well, anyway, if you had some of the Namco Jamma boards with 
extra buttons, they would. They would have an auxiliary small little connector on the game board that would have the additional buttons. There you go. But the all these aftermarket multi boards, they're they're built into they're built the, into the single the jamma harness. Right, right. Oh, great. Awesome. Okay, on to the next one. Whose turn is it? I lost track of it. I think I read the last one. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll read this one. This one is from Redline Retro. So my arcade machine has some really weird security screws. They need like a six-point drill bit with the center missing because they have a weird pin sticking out of the middle. Where can I get a bit to fit that? And also, is it possible to convert an old TV into an arcade monitor? Well, the, the first part of that question is an easy answer. That's just called a security Torx uh, bit, and you can get, you can get those, uh, well, I'll say anywhere. Where, where would be a good place to go to get that? A cheap place to get it. I think they sell sets of that if you live near a Harbor Freight Tools. Oh, and yeah. even if you don't live near a Harbor Freight Tools, they will ship anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> and their tools are like $2 each. It's It's... It's an insane deal, but yeah, seriously, there. I, I think I've seen sec- like a whole uh, a whole set of security bits that include security Allen wrench, security torques, some spanning bits, and some other miscellaneous things for maybe five bucks. And I think most of the arcade games is usually like a T fifteen or a T twenty mm-hmm. size. It's it seems it's always the I have one of those I have several of those sets. It's the one that's always missing because I take it out, <laughs> use it, and forget where I put it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, is it possible to use an old TV as an arcade monitor? Well, the sh- the, the the short yeah. answer is yes. Uh, but there's there's a lot lot more to it. So the tube, if you're talking about an old CRT tube television, uh, the dot pitch of the tube is it's going to be correct for an arcade machine. But you can't just take the TV. There's no hookups on the back of it that are going to work. Right, right. Uh, you have to you have to dig into the PC you board have, itself. Right, you've got to take it apart. So what you can use from it is the tube itself. So it's going to be more of a situation of like a using it as a donor. Like if your tube in your arcade machine, if it has severe burn-in or the tube mm-hmm. itself has gone bad, you can take the tube out of a TV, assuming it has the same uh, connector on the back of it, which, you know, there's mm-hmm. only a few different d- different types. The actual – CR23, I think. I believe. Yeah, uh, and, and as long as that that's the same – you would take the yoke off of your existing. Now, that's mm-hmm. the key word for this question: existing. <laughs> if you already have a monitor, you could use it for that. But if you have no monitor, and if your arcade machine is missing the monitor, that's not where you're going to start. Right, you're- right. I mean, there's a whole host of of reasons why a TV is a bad idea for a monitor. Um, I'll kick off and just say, um, a TV is going to probably rely on mounting the tube to the plastic casing of the TV and not going to have the appropriate brackets to tie together the circuit board and the picture tube together like an arcade, an open chassis arcade monitor will. Um, And even if you could get a schematic for your TV and tie into the correct points to inject the signals such as the sync signals and the red, green, blue uh, information, there, the, 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 the terrible truth about TVs in the United States 
that adhered to the NTSC standard, which is the standard, you know, it's, it follows roughly the same video format that arcade monitors do, um, is that the, oh, how do I put this? The amount of video information that they were really built to display is about half of what an open frame RGB monitor can display from a bandwidth perspective. So uh, your arc, if you were to convert a TV, chances are pretty good that the picture is not going to appear as crisp and clear as it would using a genuine arcade monitor. Excellent, excellent point. You know, the if, if you're not comfortable digging in, into things like changing a yoke and all that, the simple solution is to get an LCD monitor get a converter they make these they they sell these converters on ebay that uh go to a vga output uh for an lcd you know we're i think we've talked about this before it's not going to look as good as a as an original crt monitor but it's easy to do yes very very easy to do compared to you know uh, put um, especially compared to tearing apart an actual working (laughs) tv and converting it but uh, yeah, you know, I, de- <laughs> depending on where you live, if there are any other uh, ar- uh, arcade restoration enthusiasts in your area, nineteen-inch arcade monitors are easy to come by. I don't think he did. He mention what game? I don't think he mentioned what game he was talking about. So no, the you know th- the games, the color monitors used from you know nineteen eighty-ish uh, through God, you know mid nineties. We're all the same resolution. They're mm-hmm. all, you know, 19 inch was a very common size. So, although if it's got security torques, I don't, you know, I don't remember security torques being around until the the late 80s. Or don't, don't Nintendo early 90s. cabinets have them? On, oh no, they use carriage bolts. Don't know yeah. the top. A lot of the games, from what what I remember them starting off with was the the marquee, the top metal bar on the marquee. Uh, would have sec- uh, the Tempest used non-security torques, but they did have torques. Yeah, but uh, or that might have been Allen wrench. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just old memory, just uh, po- pondering when that particular cabinet could have been existing, and I'm wondering it could be it could be a 19, it could be a 25. Right. Either way, they're mm-hmm. still going to, unless it's a much newer game, it's still going to be CGA or uh, standard res. Standard res. And, uh, you know, they're just, they're all swappable uh, as far as the resolution goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On to the next one. This next one is from Wesley. I have a Galaga barn find. The cabinet is pretty rough, but the game powers on. The monitor is white with dark specs running vertical. What would be the first thing you would check? I actually have five games and plan on restoring them all. Hmm. First thing you would check. So you've got a this this Galaga. Uh, power zone. The monitor is just white with some dark dark specks going on it. Yeah. What what do you what do you think about well, that? Well, the good news is that your monitor has got high voltage and it's displaying something. Right. So that's half the battle. And if you've got raster meaning right. you've got white across the entire um that's side good. of the picture tube, that's a good thing. Um but it sounds possibly like there's something going on where the board is not generating any right. audio. I didn't see anything on here saying that they um they could play game sounds 
blind. So in other words, they couldn't coin it up. They couldn't start a game and have Galaga produce its wonderful theme song <laughs> as we were talking about before. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to assume that the board is just not booting up. Um, at where all. do we, where do we always start? At the very beginning, <laughs> a very good place to start. Always check voltage. Always. That's always. <laughs> and Galaga is going to be a pretty easy board. It only requires really to produce video. It requires one voltage. That's five volts to produce sound. It'll require the twelve volt, the plus twelve volt uh, supply. Uh, very easy to measure those from the three-pin power connector that plugs into yes. the Galaga board. It has like that little separate, uh, separate Molex connector, right. and you put the put your uh, your negative uh, voltmeter lead in the center, and then you can go off to either side, and you're going to get either five volts or twelve volts. And if you're missing one of those, look to your power supply. Right. The five volts is really the, as you said earlier, it's the critical one. It's the critical one that the, the microprocessor and everything, all the video generation circuitry runs off of five volts. Excellent. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to bring up with this, he has five games and he plans on restoring them all. If, if, you're, if you plan on getting into this hobby as a, and doing restoration, buying games that are broken, you know, they're always cheaper if you buy them broken, right? Yes. You know, one thing that I strongly suggest, it's, it's a, I think, a fantastic tool, is a test pattern generator for your mm-hmm. monitor. Mm-hmm. That lets you go in and slice the problem in half. You know, we talk about playing blind. You can, you know, if a game uh, turns on and you can hear the sounds, that's, that's, a, that's a good indication that the game board is working, the monitor's not. But a better way of determining that is a, a test pattern generator for your monitor. There is, um, if you go on KLOV, look for a gentleman named Crafty Mech. He sells a new test pattern generator, or at least he, I got one from him now a couple of years ago, somewhere in the $70 range. And I, I use that tool all the time. Wells Gardner awesome. used to sell one. There was a few, Wico, uh, Wico or Wico, however you pronounce it, sold one. And they were all kind of the same thing. And they were mm-hmm. 200 you know, if you found one, it was $200. But this guy has you know, made a new one. It, it works both on standard uh, standard res monitors, medium res monitors, like your Atari, oh, some of your Atari awesome. games. Uh, it's a great tool. Yeah. And, it you know, you can immediately know, you know, you can go through your games. Okay, this monitor works. This And, you know, then you can start swapping mm-hmm. monitors mm-hmm. if you need to. Right. Yeah, the, I mean, the, and the old way is, of course, you know, you swap the monitor into a known working game and then uh you know power on the monitor and see if it works but with this you don't even have to pull it out of the cabinet you just connect it up and right off you go it's battery it operated yeah work, works like a champ i highly recommend it and um uh, and his his particular one okay awesome. on to the next one on to the next one I, this one is from tommy what's the best way to drill holes in a control panel for arcade buttons and what Tommy did not tell us is whether he's talking about metal or wood. Now, wood, mm-hmm. wood's easy. I mean, you're going to really just use either a paddle, a hole saw, or a paddle bit. That's that's mm-hmm. that's pretty simple. I mean, you know, it's uh, metal is a little bit different. 
and you can still well you're not going to use a paddle bit on uh, on metal you can still use a hole saw on it mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. is another piece of equipment another tool that uh that's really nice for metal control panels and that's what they call a knockout punch mm-hmm. uh or is that a boxing term uh, uh, I'm I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> and and I have I have one of these. Basically, what this thing does is you have to make a smaller pilot hole in the control panel. But then mm-hmm. you put the device, and you can think of it as kind of a tool that kind of sandwiches from both sides. It has like a, uh, a cutting area. It's like two cylindrical devices, and you you put a uh, ratchet on it or your impact gun, mm-hmm. and it kind of pulls them together. And it will cut a hole, a nice, precise hole uh, into your control panel. Now, it's not necessary. A hole saw can, will still work on a uh, metal control mm-hmm. panel. It's, eh, you Buttons know, they're are pretty forgiving because they cover up all the right. burrs and everything like that. Um, but but, it, but say you have a control yeah. panel that's already been, you know, drilled so much and you need, you've got the spot there, but it needs to be, you know, like you've got a hole there and you need to go off offset a little bit your your hole saw may not you know it require that hole saw requires a very specific size pilot hole for it to to go in and if it's off center you can't use the mm-hmm. hole saw this knockout punch is great for that because if you have you know your hole a part of a hole already you can kind of line it up exactly where very you precise. need to go and spe- the one i have uh, is a company called green lee uh, uh, green like the color l e e and specifically for your average arcade button size, it's a one and one eighth inch uh, size. And trackballs are two and a quarter. That's the smaller trackball, like your centipede, millipede, the larger. I've never, I've never cut out a hole for the larger what is one. It, three and a half. Three. Well, I think three? they. Yeah, like Crystal Castles or uh, uh, Missile Command. I think Missile Command is actually even a larger size. Missile Command is definitely a four-inch ball. Uh, something crazy like but that. But yeah, yeah. chances are you're not going to be. If you're doing a multi-cade, you're going to be doing that smaller yeah. track ball, uh, the two-and-a-quarter inch. But mm-hmm. anyway, so that's... I think it might be worth mentioning, actually. Um, I remember some horror stories back back in the day um, when uh, the arcade ops were trying to convert machines and they would use a piece of plexiglass over the top of the mm-hmm. control panel. Drilling through that, there's some special methods to keep your tools like your hole saw or your spade bits from cracking the plexiglass. And I think one of the methods that I used was that you run the drill backwards. backwards yes. And it actually kind of melts That's and kind of displaces kind of to, it and doesn't cut into the plexiglass. Now, I've done that, and I've, I've cut through, I've, I've drilled holes in plexiglass a lot. And I've used that method to start the hole, but once you kind of break through the surface of it, I change kind of go and go forward. forward. Now, this is this is just how I do it. I'm you. Yeah. You may get differing opinions on this, but uh, also it's um, you know I've I've had people say lay down some you know some tape over the top of it to 
I don't even remember what the purpose of that was to kind of keep it from, you know, to help keep keep from scratching the surface. But yeah, yeah, it didn't keep me from breaking the uh, plastic. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I'm wondering, I'm kind of wondering if you run the drill backwards, you're creating friction, you're warming up the plastic and now it becomes pliable and maybe it can take the, uh, the cutting tooth of the, the hole saw a little better. But definitely do not use a paddle for plexiglass. You don't use the paddle, a paddle bit. You don't use that, the, the knockout punch. You, uh, oh, well, I've never tried using it. I, I can't imagine that it would go well, though. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be interesting. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's a, that's an experiment. Hey, somebody out there, buy that that punch and a piece of plexiglass. Oh, I, I have the it. I have the punch. So I oh, can, well, okay, that's and your I have challenge. Plexiglass, so you have you have your, my homework. You have your homework to report on at the next show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next All one. Right. This one, this next one is from Tiago. Hello, I hope you can help me. I don't know much about arcade machines, but I will try my best to explain the problem. I have one of those CGA slash VGA JAMA cabinets, Miss Pac-Man, with two sets of joysticks and buttons. It always worked fine until one day it stopped working. I think that's kind of how everything goes, right? That's, I, I have that same problem. <laughs> it was working until it wasn't working. <laughs> it turns on and makes all tests. When it's ready for you to play, the buttons and joysticks don't work. When you put a token in, it gets stuck inside and you need to release it manually. If you go uh, to the test mode, all of the buttons and joysticks work fine. If you go into normal mode, everything goes fine on tests, but then the joysticks and buttons and coins don't work. There are no error messages, and the board has one light that's steady green and another one that's blinking green. Any ideas? Hmm. Unfortunately, what we don't know here is what specific board that Tiago is speaking of. I was thinking possibly a 60-in-1, maybe even locked into Miss Pac-Man. But we possibly we yeah. we don't we don't we can't really say for sure. So if you go into hmm. te- whatever game board it is, if you go into test mode and every all the, uh, the, the and you do the switch test and up down left right you know all if everything is working and you go into game mode and if you go out of test mode and it's not well you know at least you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have no wiring problem you can you know it's it's down to your game board of which we don't know which game board it is but it's it's a problem with the game board uh one thing that's mentioned is is the the tokens are getting stuck in the mechanism that is one thing we can talk about here uh how the uh how these mechanisms work and this thing called a coin lockout and a coin lockout coil Hmm. So what's what's that all about, Chris? What's a what's a coin lockout and a coin lockout coil? Well, it means that the coin hasn't paid its rent, and so you're <laughs> locking it out of. No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that um, in, in the early days of arcade, I seem to remember this. In the back in, the er- in my day, back in my day, um, <laughs> <laughs> the arcade. People were clamoring to get into the arcades, and uh, the operators would sometimes open the doors, and they didn't have all the machines on yet, and the players would run right up to the machine, and they'd put the quarter in, and then it would come right out the coin return. Why? So that you couldn't have somebody say, well, that machine was off, and I didn't notice, and I put my quarter in it, and I want a refund. And the the arcade operator can say, um... No, because a coin lockout coil, uh, when the machine is not powered on and when the game board is not ready to take the credit or read the coin, will 
make sure that it does not energize the lockout coils. And so the coin will drop straight through to the coin return. Right. So the lockout. So basically, I guess you could. Uh, this is the best way I can describe it. There's almost like a a metal, uh, a long metal pin with a little bent thing on it that pushes into the coin mechanism. The, re, the 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 device that you can take out. You know, if it's if it's twenty five cents, if it's a token, there there's these interchangeable coin mechanisms that go in it, and there's a spot that has a. Uh, like a, a kind of a springy rod that goes in there that, you know, at rest, it's pushed in there, which for, makes the coin just automatically pass through. The purpose of the uh, re, uh, the coin reject coil is once everything is okay with the game, it pulls, it's a little small solenoid, and it pulls that little metal rod out of it. It, mm-hmm. it kind of pulls it, so that way... Everything is everything is okay, and you know there's another and pinball machines or even I guess perhaps video games. Once you reached a certain like after so many credits, you know it would Correct. energize that it would uh, de-energize that coil so that you couldn't keep putting more more coins in it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this was just a kind of a segue for us to talk <laughs> about that a bit. But uh, well, there's that. But I think there's also another possibility. So, oh. so because it's talking about that the token gets stuck mm-hmm. in the coin mech. And a lot of times, so we were talking about the coin mechanisms were also called coin acceptors. Mm-hmm. And what those do is, uh, if you were to look at a mechanical coin acceptor, there's newer ones that actually do a lot of, um, a lot of other tests on the coins. But you'll see the first thing when a, when a coin goes into an acceptor, it goes into this cradle mechanism. And what's that supposed to do is it regulates how fast the coin is introduced into the mechanism so that it starts its journey on its path through the mechanism, which will be uh, measuring things like uh, coin height, coin thickness, uh, the weight comes into play because the weight of the object is going to affect how fast it moves through certain parts of the acceptor. There's a magnet. Magnet. Gate so if you put your slug from the uh, exactly. <laughs> electrical reception, <laughs> yeah, if exactly if it put if you put an iron slug in there, it'll actually get stuck to the magnet, and that's when you have to hit the coin coin rejector. But also, if the coin's alloy is not a correct ratio. Uh, so in the U.S., there's kind of a standard set of alloy ranges for different ferromagnetic metals versus Ooh, fancy word. Fancy word. In other words, magnetic metals versus non-magnetic metals, and that magnet, as it pass, as the coin passes that magnet, the correct balance of um, magnetism that that coin can experience will slow the coin down just enough to where it's considered accepted and it goes down one shoot. If it runs past that magnet too fast, it'll overshoot and go to the coin uh, return slot. Or it'll get stuck to the magnet and then a wiper will have to come in when you hit reject. So You know, I'm going to use this as a segue for something that I think hmm. is, is interesting. And it's coin operated, so it's relevant, I think. What's that? Uh, and you may already know this. Hmm. Uh, coin operated pool tables. Ah, yeah. Do you know what I'm about to say? You're talking about the slides? No, I'm no, talking what? about the cue ball. 
how it knows the cue ball from the other balls. People have said, well, you know, it's ways less. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know that it's it's same concept. There's a, a rail. There's a magnet there. There the really yeah. I did not know yes, that. Yes, it's that's how it knows the cue ball from the other balls. It's the same weight, same size, but there's a, like a uh, the, along the rail. There's the inside when you look on the inside. So when uh, it's going down the the little yep. rail, it pulls it, it diverts off the it track. according to. Ooh, I had no idea. Yeah, how about that? That is kind of. Interesting and but and I digress. So geeky, <laughs> so that geeky, is so geeky. How do you know? Of tell tell know that, you know that little bit of <laughs> so. trivia at your next party. <laughs> so, so along those lines of of the token is getting stuck. Well, maybe these are coin acceptors that were, you know, adjusted for quarter. You can probably do some adjustments. There's a little adjustment screw on that coin acceptor that opens up the gate. Um, that magnetic gate a little bit. So there are, there are some adjustments on it. Take a look at it. Uh, if it's a newer game that has an electronic coin acceptor, typically what you do is there's a little sample area. There's where a, you like would, it's a comparator. It's it, a comparator, exactly. And it, you, you, put, you put your test coin in there or your, your comparison coin, and anything that passes through that acceptor that doesn't match that profile and that comparison coin will be rejected and what i would like is for tiago to reply to us and let us know what game it is because we could revisit this and be much more helpful if we if we knew what game it was very much on to the next one is it your turn to read read, that was the long one i read the long one one. i'm getting all the short questions i love this okay (laughs) this one is from bad intense my Robotron screen is too wide. The horizontal width coil just spins and does not adjust anything. Any ideas? Do I need to replace the coil? If you if it just spins and spins and doesn't make any, yeah. The short answer, yes. So you've got your uh, your horizontal width coil, uh, and it was for Robotron. So I, you know, I think uh, forty. Most of the Robotrons I've seen have wells. For, or no, as I guess it could come with a Geo Seven. Maybe I think most of them are Wells forty nine hundreds. I know the Geo Seven has the horizontal width coil. I'm pretty sure they the forty nine hundred does. But anyway, but let's talk about so. the width coil. So you put your new horizontal. What is it? We put it's 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 an inductor <laughs> with a hollow center core in it with a a piece inside and and what you do Chris is you go out to your your garage and get your handy dandy metal uh allen wrench set no! and put it no you you don't you don't do that no oh man oh no. no, okay no. but it fits in there so it, that's it's made for it right it it it, it does fit but no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you. So if that and those the the inside. What is that material? We've talked about that before. It's ferrite. A, ferrite. It's yeah. a. It look. It's it's a black material. It's it's, it's uh, basically powdered iron. If I'm not mistaken, it's powdered iron. But each iron particle is in a a sort of resin that acts as an insulator, so that each one of those particles is electrically insulated from each other. And I have seen many of those coils where that center area the is just seized to the out. I mean, where you just can't turn it. Right. And right. that well, he says he can turn it, but uh, you know, it's it's not doing anything. So perhaps his. And once again, it's it's inside of an inductor or a coil. Uh, and per, what is an inductor? A coil, <laughs> which does what? 
<laughs> we'll we'll get into that whole metal uh, Allen wrench thing in in a minute, I suppose. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so per, perhaps his perhaps there's a break in the uh, in the coil or whatever. But anyway, so you you, you replace that. And uh, what tool should you use to adjust that? So they sell sets of TV adjustment tools that are essentially Allen wrenches that are made of uh, non-conductive plastic. And they're designed for uh, to, to adjust these inductors for several reasons. First of all, a regular Allen wrench is going to be... The, the material is too hard and the ferrite core is too brittle <laughs> and so when you put something that is unforgiving in something that will crack when uh when it really needs something in there that's kind of forgiving or soft it soft-sided it's going to end up destroying that ferrite core but that's not the real reason why well, it's not the only reason. the only the only reason <laughs> so the big reason is um and and maybe this is where we start getting into what inductors actually do um so coils uh, depending on their inductance value, and it's measured in Henry's, will... Um, Why not Fred's? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Okay, so it's measured in Fred's, Henry's, where <laughs> um, it will impede the flow of current depending on frequency correct so the closer um the the higher in frequency um and the well i should say the higher value in in henry's the more it will impede current flow the lower the frequency becomes so bigger values of henry for lower frequency values is that Okay. Based on my memory, anyway, <laughs> there's there's a whole and it, it, it plays against um, um, what capacitance is in the circuit too, as to what its what its timing is going to be. And you're what you're its going to be and and you're be. going to be adjusting it with the power on with the game the game playing. Now yes. here's 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 the key thing, Chris. Have you ever seen the uh, the TV show on the Discovery Channel, the um, How It's Made TV show, where they oh, yes. go into the Many factories times. and they, you know, you see... Okay. Did they Me- have a TV show on How It's Made, how they make inductor coils? <laughs> no, but oh. they do have many episodes where you'll see metal tool, metal parts going through something and they have to rapidly heat up Mm. the mm-hmm. the piece part of the uh strengthening process of it well anyway and you're like wow how do they they're not using any flames to heat up this bolt or whatever part that's going through it they heat it up inductively yes and that's what uh what what they're doing is they're sending you know a, a lower voltage but high current through a coil an inductor and what that will do is any any magnetic it transfers magnetically the energy to the piece of metal that's going by it and you can rapidly heat up to many thousands of degrees (laughs) a piece of metal that's anywhere in the vicinity of this inductor right Uh, that's inductive heating Think, think think about it like a generator so you've got like a permanent magnet and a moving coil of wire it's going to cut across that the magnetic field is going to cut across the wire and generate an electric current Okay, and that's where ferrite comes in. <laughs> so now let's go back to the arcade monitor. So you've got your metal 
uh, Allen wrench and you put it down in the width coil uh, of it to adjust it. And that little metal Allen wrench now becomes the subject of this inductive heater. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's And this is really partially because of just how the, the, the circuit is on that. I mean, there, there are such... Well, well, but what's happening, though, is so, so as, I, as I was saying, with the generator, you've got a, a permanent magnet and you've got coils of wire that are passing by the magnet and, it's, and the magnetic fields are cutting into the wire and it generates a current, right? In this particular case... The magnetic, the, the coils are standing still, but the AC current in the coils are changing. So the magnetic field is actually moving across the metal of the Allen wrench. And that is generating current, but you're asking, well, it's, there's no light bulb there. There's no, there's no closed circuit that you would need for current flow, but there is. And it's in the metal itself, there are certain areas of that metal Allen wrench that conducts slightly better than others, depending on where the magnetic field is. And it'll create small little circular currents called eddy currents inside the metal. That represents a short circuit. And when you have a short circuit in metal, you generate you heat, heat. And you generate Lots a of lot it. of heat really quickly. And there's your problem. You know, Chris, I would love to tell you that this is all just knowledge that I've gotten from a book and that I've never done this myself. But I can't say but you that. You can't say that. <laughs> so Same I am here. telling you from my own personal experience, don't do as soon as it, I did it and that <laughs> and I burned my finger, yes. I was like, Oh, I understand why it did it and I will never do that again. So this is our our own personal sacrifice yes. so that you guys don't do this. Yes. And on top of that, even though you're going to burn your fingers and you think you're going to do good with that monitor on, once you insert that Allen wrench in there, the whole adjustment is going right. to be off anyway. So you get the get the plastic tool. They're not expensive. Right, right. Any any kind of adjustments on a monitor you want to use, you know, they, the, the even if it's just the uh, – uh, you know, some of the smaller potentiometers that have uh, a place in the middle that you can put a small screwdriver. Use Always use plastic ones. Yes, indeed. All right. Oh, I'll, your turn. Oh, you've got oh, a short one. Oh, I got a one. short one. All right. Lucky you. Dakota asks, is this the same as a horizontal collapse? And this equals a picture that we have. So we're going to, this being a... a audio medium, we're let's, going to have let's to... Let's describe it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> and so Dakota has a is that Pac-Man that or like Miss Pac? That's Miss Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. And as we're looking at the screen, if you think of Pac-Man as being, of course, you know, a vertical uh, vertical monitor, um, if you can imagine the sides of the uh, image uh, not kind of being compressed, where like the right hand side is kind of pushed in, and so is the left hand side. It looks skinny, like Karen Carpenter. <laughs> Uh, too soon too soon (laughs) too soon (laughs) Uh, so it's uh so it's you know the whole screen is narrow but since miss pac-man is a vertical screen and you know the orientation of 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 um, crts you always think of them as being um uh vertical uh horizontal not vertical so you really kind of have to turn the image on its side. So what you're really seeing is kind of the top compressed down and the bottom compressed up. <laughs> so what what we have here is a vertical collapse. Um, and the uh, so the the question is is this well it's actually vertical collapse. But what do we do about this? 
Well, where do we where do we start with monitors as opposed <laughs> to uh, the rest of the well, game? How soon how soon do we get our recorded sound bite that uh, that says Cap Kit? I know I've been asking for it. We where, need where's... a deep, boomy voice to say, "Do a Cap Kit, Cap Kit." <laughs> But that's the answer. We need post production. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's leave, let's leave a pause right here. What what do you do with this, Chris? <laughs> good, 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 good. But yes, you it, when you have the uh, the uh, the collapse where your screen is compressed, uh, you always. I mean, it it could be circuit. It could be something beyond that, but you always start there. Um, but uh, you know, we we see the picture of it. it, it uh, the cap kit's going to fix it. Yes, indeed. That's a great place to start. Hey, it's it. The, the monitor's lit, so you're already ahead of the game. You know, I'm going to read the next one as well because you're going to answer this question because you are the expert with this. Oh, oh, okay, okay. sure. <laughs> expert, I'm kind of like wavering back and forth to say. Is that expert, is that think. a uh, is that G is that glass tortillas or I think it's gias tortillas 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 gias tortillas. Hi, I need your help with my cocktail cabinet. I keep getting an error that says Mala, M-A-L-A error, Mala error. I can't access my games. I have about 800 installed. That's that's a lot of that's games. That's a lot of games. <laughs> I played around with it for a little while and found 200 games. When I press the button to play it, it will not play. Any suggestions? All right. Well, actually, I had to go and look this up. Even though I'm familiar somewhat with the with the subject matter, I have, I have not had uh, a whole lot of modern... Main experience under my belt um, for for the current offerings. So, what I guess there's a front end called Mala, and what it is is it produces a graphical menu system where you can select your games and it'll show screenshots and um, uh, allow you to set options that you can pass on to Mame, uh, and then it. Once you select the game, then of course it runs the main game. Um, so something that Mala does is it generates a database, or at least it should generate a database of installed games so that you know which games to display in the menu and which ones not to. So example, if you don't have the ROM set for a particular game, it wouldn't display a game that you wouldn't be able to play. Um so in doing some poking around and Googling on this, um, unfortunately, this question doesn't really say what error Mala is giving you. There's normally some, some more information with the error message, but I'd probably suggest that either something in the file system um, that runs the Mala uh, front-end game like like the database or an object that's required to... Um, read the database has become corrupt. Um, so uh, aside, aside from going out to the Mala website looking for support for your particular error message, um, I would I would see it if I, I on my main cabinet I actually have a, a backup of the hard drive, and I've actually over the years it's hard to believe that that main cabinet is. 16 years old. Wow. <laughs> um, I've had to replace the hard drive in it twice. 
Uh, you know, typically building these things, I use an old used hard drive, and it has a sure. It's an old life. IDE hard drive. And- it's it is it is an IDE hard drive. It's got the ribbon cable. It's not even SATA anymore, um, and it's using a um, an older Pentium two processor board <laughs> <laughs> that's using AGP for its video interface. It's pretty it's pretty old. Uh, it's time to probably refresh that. But but that's what that's what I would do um, if 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 you want to reach back out to us via the email address to let us know what specific to let us error. Know specifically and what so, error so we back, can address it on the follow-up the, show the front end we're, so we're talking about mame and front mm-hmm. end mame is the you know multiple arcade machine emulator so mame is the actual actual emulator. program that's running mm-hmm. and the front end is is like a so mame by itself is is it's kind of ugly, isn't it? It's Mame, uh, Mame is is command line based. I mean, and they have Windows version. They, ha- they have these. They have they 30, have a, Mame thirty two, and they do. And that's actually produced by. I don't even think that's produced by the Mame team itself. Mame, Mame is simply command line based, um, and they do make Windows binaries and DOS binaries and things like that. But um, they don't produce pretty menuing. Right, so, and in and of you can you can play you can use main by you don't need a front end. A front end is just to make it nice and and uh, nice and pretty, right? Easy to navigate, easy to navigate, easy to go through and remember what games you have installed. Um, but yeah, you could you could quite literally, if you knew exactly which two games you wanted to play, you could go in there and you knew the ROM set name. You could just type on the command line main whatever and then specify the ROM set. And poof, it'll run. Right. So, and, you know, he, he doesn't have to stick with this particular front end. He could use whichever one he wants mm-hmm. or none. He could or use MAME, MAME by itself. If right? it's in a cabinet, though, unless you have a keyboard. Oh, attached, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's going to be that's the hard a good point. Part. So, it also, yeah. So, the front end should also allow you to use the joysticks and the buttons on your control panel to select which games to run, as well as configure the front end if, if you have, right. you know, any kind of. Um, if you wanted to add games or subtract games and things like that, or at least the ability to attach a keyboard. Okay, it's your turn to read, but you you did the research on this next. Would you would you like to read it, uh, uh, or or should I? Because you're I'm putting on my glasses. Because uh, how about time how about I read it? Because you you did the research on this one as far as which. Okay, and then specific. I'll read the next question. Okay, Brandon. Hi, I'm trying to restore my first arcade machine, an original Galaga. This is just Galaga's all over the place. Wow, this time it must around. be a sign given that I bought the Galaga <laughs> machine. It's, it's, it's all about me. <laughs> Brandon is restoring his first arcade machine, an original Galaga he purchased at auction. I bought one of the plug and play Galaga specific switching power supplies and a new board, plugged it all in, but only the marquee lights up. The CRT has no net glow and there's no audio or blind play coming from the machine. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. So he has a Galaga. He turns it on, the marquee lights up, but nothing else. No net glow, no no sounds, nothing. All right. So, um, depending on where the uh, the plug and place switching power supply is is wired in, um, and maybe I just didn't consider that part. Uh, the 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 two things I would look for um, there's a half inch fuse or a half inch half fuse. inch fuse. Listen well, no, me. that's about it's about it three quarters of an inch. It is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a joke in there. I'm not going. Uh, the half amp fuse um, that um, 
fuses the primary side of the power transformer uh, that might be blown, and that would definitely affect both the monitor uh, from powering up as well as the game board from powering up. Um, and there's also a two-amp fuse for the monitor, and I believe both of those are in the bottom of the cabinet. Uh, I would check on those. Please use a meter and, and don't rely on your visual test for that, uh, especially the half-amp fuse. Those are pretty easy to mistake as being right. okay when, in fact, they are not uh, conductive and really no good. Right. Um, that's that's pretty much where I would start because that, that's that's pretty much the gateway for power into the machine. Right. Um, and the the um, the marquee will light up because it runs off of 120 volts. Right. And it's 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 before the isolation transformer for the monitor. So correct. So this Galaga and and really all machines from this same era uh, are going to have an isolation transformer. Mm-hmm. We talked about that on our last episode. We can touch on it briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, the the purpose is you, you've got 120 volts into it, two terminals on one side of the transformer, and then two two terminals on the other, or sometimes they're above and below, but basically four terminals on the transformer. And it's called an isolation transformer because it does exactly that. It, it uh, electrically isolates the output from the input for so that you don't shock yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 120 volts in, 120 volts out. Get use your meter to test to see you know to see that you have uh, uh, you know see where the fuse is in line with it if it's on the primary side or the input side of it or the output side of it measure AC voltage going into the transformer going out this is gonna this should be a simple fix I think it's a simple fix um, it it is of uh, of interest and of note specifically in the Galaga there. Are, there's actually a step-down transformer for the power supply and then a separate isolation transformer. Right. But a lot of games actually integrate the isolation transformer into one, one single transformer, transformer that does both the isolation function as well as the step-down voltages for the power supply functions. Mid- midway cabinets were... They, um, I think, all of them had two separate transformers. Mm-hmm. I think that was very common with you know through the MCR games. Oh, really? All, of all them. the way up to MCR. Yeah. Uh, I know Tron has two separate with Spy Hunt. Yeah, they, they, I think most, most of the, all of the Midway games have two. That would, that would be an interesting research project to find out why they chose that model over pretty much the rest of the manufacturers were custom winding their transformers and, and like, I'm like sure it Sega. was what was cheap and easily available at the time when they're producing these things as quick as they possibly can. Oh, oh that, that definitely, that too. That too, <laughs> for sure. All right. Next question. From Stacy, I have a Suzuka eight-hour motorcycle racing arcade. That sounds like a really long game. Uh, <laughs> you have to play it for eight hours. Eight hours, yeah. Wow. And then it just it comes to it a has, kill screen. It has <laughs> it has a Red Bull dispensing machine on the <laughs> on the front of it. <laughs> so she continues. When it arrived to us and we powered it on, the screens came on, but the game did not. After checking everything I could think of, I shut it off and back on, and then the game came on. Uh, the second day we came in, we turned it on, and it didn't come up again. Turned it on and off three times, and the game came up then. Day three, we came in, turned it on, and the screens came up with no games. Well, it sounds like that's a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> I checked the reset uh, for a reset on the PC boards and set uh, all plugs and connectors 
All I can think of is that they're not getting power from the power supply. Is my train of thought correct? Could this be a power supply issue? Absolutely, it could be. This one's going to be a little little tricky because you have an intermittent problem. And, you know, when the game's working, it's, uh, it's, you're not going to trace the problem down when the game's working. Well, that's not entirely true. So we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do a little ex- experimenting here. Um, when the game is working, you need to get your meter. You know, every question or many of these questions uh, say, get your meter and do this, get your meter and do that. So I guess it's important to say if you're going to be working on these arcade machines, first things first, you you have to have a voltmeter. Have a voltmeter. You can't the, lick your finger and put it across the terminals. And well, say, you can. That feels right. <laughs> that doesn't really work. It's not a non-volt battery. It might be fun, but uh, yeah, that that's not. It's not good enough. You you want to check your DC voltages primarily your as we talked about before your five volts need to see so when the game is working what what's your what's your voltage on that you know measure your voltage you know put your the uh, the the black lead from the meter on ground put the positive lead on the on the five volts uh, and and what is it write write it down when it's not working what is it you know. Write it down. Now, here's here's another thing. When the game is working, now hopefully we can get back to the point where the game is working. You know, first it turned it off and turned it on, and it finally worked. Day later, turned it off and on a few times, and it worked. So hopefully you can get back to that point for a little while. Right. Um, measure your voltages, but at that point, uh, what I would do if you can get the game working again, that's when I'm going to take your you know your non-conductive probing instrument <laughs> you know your your finger? straw <laughs> no <laughs> your uh your straw or pencil or pen something that you can start poking around primarily at the interconnect at the uh, where all your you know your plugs connect um and see if you can make it shut off again uh it's 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 bound to it's it's likely going to come down to a bad connector or a socketed chip, perhaps, on the game board that's uh, not seated seated well. Uh, hopefully, that's what it comes down to. If if you can't uh, if you can't poke around and find a problem, you know you're now talking about a game board problem, and it's just it's going to get much deeper at this yeah. point. I would say I would say not only bring your voltmeter, but a lot of patience. Yes. <laughs> on, some, on a problem like this, typically what I would do is I would set it up and I'd have it move far enough away from the wall and just leave the back off of it so you have access to everything. Turn it on, play a game, enjoy it when it works, walk away, turn it on. The minute it doesn't work, get back there, have your meter back there, everything's ready to go so you're ready to do your test points. Maybe wiggle some things, um, see if you can get it to come on that way. Um, these intermittent problems are usually... Uh, besides compound problems are some of the harder problems to yes. address because it's the ghost that you're going to chase. Right. It's yeah. These are the tough ones. They really are. Uh, the, the solution, when, once you find the problem, it's a, it's you just, you know, one bad solder joint, one, ba- you know, one pin <laughs> in a, you know, it's always, uh, you know, just one tiny little thing, but it's finding that. <laughs> yeah. Of, of note. So this is a, um, this is a 1992 game and the original game came with an analog power supply. So, my my initial gut reaction is that it would be difficult to assume that it's a it's a 
it's truly like like the power supply is producing voltage and then it's not producing voltage. Um, but if this was if the power supply was replaced with a switch mode power supply, it might have uh, startup troubles where it sometimes fires up and works or not. So if if your game has been retrofitted with one of the newer switch mode power supplies, then that's actually that should actually be much easier. I don't I don't think you'll see a red light on it, will you? Without five volts, I'm not sure what the LED keys off of. Well, and if it's things. under voltage, if the fi- you would you would have the the, the red light, but it True. could be a you know. Uh, so check. So that's that's the that's the main thing. Check your Definitely check your check voltage, voltage. Your With DC a voltmeter. With a voltmeter. <laughs> <laughs> so All right. Your turn to read or my turn to read? Um, I can read it again if you just want to play ping pong back and forth. <laughs> okay, doesn't matter to me. All right, so this one's an interesting question from Kess and Jason. We own a 1979 Midway Space Invaders game. Up until this morning, the game has always worked great. It is occasionally uh, shown that it has sticky left, right, and fire buttons, but that was it. So this morning, we finally braved opening the machine, and neither of them are electronically inclined. Uh, and they adjusted the contrast and brightness on the monitor in order to clear up some shadows and blurry images on the monitor, and they were able to successfully get it very crystal clear, and they decided to play a game. I was player one, and I had no problems, but when it came to my husband's turn, who was player two, obviously, he had movement but no firepower. So then back to my turn and I had no problems with the movement and the firepower. Please help us. Give us any suggestions you could think of. It would be so appreciated. Thanks. Hoping and waiting. Cass and Jason. Mm-mm. This is an odd one, isn't it? It is very odd. I actually okay. researched a little bit to <laughs> see if I could find some obvious Okay. Weird problem, but so uh, one thing that would be one thing that is not mentioned is in this question and it and this really changes what the answer would be is whether or not this is a stand-up arcade or if it's a cocktail. If this is a cocktail machine, you're going to have separate inputs for player one and player two. And it, and the, you know, that this would be somewhat of a logic. If, if it's a cocktail, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a, it will be more logical. Right. You're going right. to look for, physical problem uh, with the fire button on player two yes um you know that's very straightforward but if this is a, a stand-up you know uh stand up where player one and player two use the same controls that changes everything right it does <laughs> it it, the, it begs the question of why if if the fire button on the upright is the same button that's used for player one and player two on an upright cabinet. Why would it work for player one and not player two? <laughs> um, you know, I coming coming and working in the computer field, it's it's occurring to me that the most obvious questions are sometimes the most offensive questions, but sometimes they yield positive results. I think I you, know what you're going you, to ask. You, you know the standard question of, have you checked your computer to see if it's plugged in? <laughs> uh, stand, stand over your, your husband's shoulder and make sure he's actually using the fire button and not pressing player one or player two <laughs> and going, I don't understand, it doesn't work. 
<laughs> don't, in other words, don't let your husband play any of these games. Take it all for yourself. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, check it out. Uh, you know, user error is always a possibility, and and I actually have that happen quite frequently on my main cabinet. People, I've using got the wrong button. I, they're using the wrong buttons. I've got the button uh, mapping all printed out and backlit and everything, and it never fails. People just go up and they just want to start hitting buttons. <laughs> so so check it out. Maybe it's not a problem after all. But in the event that it actually is. Right. So if I had this, if someone brought this game to me and told me this, and I experienced it for myself. Yes. Player, you know, it's a, it's a stand-up conventional arcade machine, and player one, it works. And you're, for player two, you're using the same buttons, but the fire doesn't work. The first thing I'm going to check at that point is, uh, is are, are the EPROMs. Now, this is kind of tough if you don't have an EPROM burner where you can read the EPROMs, but I would, I would assume that there's some problem with the game code. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, I, I wouldn't say this is terribly likely because all they did was open it up and, uh, you know, adjusted some stuff with the monitor. So right. let's, let's hope that this is a cocktail cabinet and that there is a separate fire button for player one and player two mm-hmm. that that should once again that should be a simple fix but this leads us into something else that we discussed while we were talking about this question uh and it is the difference between a uh stand up and a cocktail and i have and i have seen this happen before <laughs> where player one everything is is working properly and it goes to player two and none of the uh, if 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 this question was worded as player two, none of the buttons work properly. Then the first thing you think of is what, Chris? Well, that they accidentally changed a dip switch and it's it's set it's, on and it's, and it's set the wrong way. Set on co- it's set um, on uh, cocktail. Uh, yes. So you're in your game setup, and usually this is going to be on your dip switch settings, not uh, not in like your uh, menu, like your test menu. But you can tell the game whether it's a conventional stand-up game or a cocktail, and it will know from the actual phys- the, the the inputs, like a you know other. Uh, pins on the harness, other pins on the uh, edge connector, that that's for player two, that's where the input will be coming from mm-hmm. versus using this, mapping the same uh, uh, pin, input pins uh, for both players. <laughs> so if you, you know, check your, if that does happen to you, check your dip switch settings uh, to make sure they're set for the appropriate style cabinet. Yeah, I would recommend also just setting the dip switches to the standard as shipped uh, configuration that Midway specifies. Usually, mm-hmm. there's a little a little card that's taped to the to the cabinet somewhere. Uh, just you never know um, if there's an unused dip switch that gets turned on and it has odd behavior. Who knows? Who knows? Right. It's always uh, I, I've run into some very odd issues with certain, especially Bally Midway games, where it looked like the the board was entirely dead, but one of the uh, dip switches was set that wasn't really documented, but um, kept the game from booting. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. On to the next one. The next. next one is from Steve. Steve says, Hi, I just picked up a cocktail multicade, but the owner didn't have the key. Is there a way to get in with the key? 
Uh, I'm sorry, is there a way to get in without the key? I'm more interested in changing the dips to change it easy for the kids. Thanks. So, a, a, like, really heavy hammer, right? That's the oh, tool of choice. Well, no? Well, you, you, you could use a very <laughs> heavy hammer. Um, and, but, you know, uh, getting through that picture tube is really difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jackhammer? Um, you, you named your hammer Jack? <laughs> You're a freak. <laughs> no, kid. Uh, no, the easiest thing, um, most all of these lock sets that are in these games are, uh, um, they use a flat key and they're single-sided, you know, uh, cutouts. They're pretty easy to drill into just using a drill bit. I think I've used yeah. a titanium drill uh, drill bit before. And if you, um, I don't know what size you use, like a quarter inch? Well, I th- did we have this discussion before? I, I, um... I use a really large drill bit. Mm, mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's sm- you know the the the, part, the middle part, the, the the cylindrical part that turns. I use something pretty close to that size. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know that there's a right answer to this as far as which size to use. I've heard of people using a smaller one, and then, but I've got you know a good quality drill, and it just you know that metal is at all burr through there, right? I, and, I actually use a smaller one. Yeah. So if you if you think about it, so from the from the from the business end of the lock where you put your key in and you're you're using a quarter inch drill bit to go through the center of that lock at some point through the middle of that lock it's going to contact the screw mm-hmm. that secures the back cam onto the lock right and from its perspective it's going to see that turning drill bit as going counterclockwise which is going to loosen the screw so you can you, either way you run that drill bit through the lock all the way um, all the way and it's going to blow out that back screw the cam will fall off and um, and Bob's your uncle and Bob's your uncle and then poof you're in so head on down to the the local home improvement place they've got cabinet cam locks that you can use in right. a pinch to uh, now to he, replace it he's talking about a cocktail. Uh, and you you pretty much have to do that. But when you're talking about a conventional stand up uh, machine, don't you know this? Don't go in through the the front of it. You know if the back. Well, first of all, oftentimes when you buy a stand up arcade machine, the back of it, somebody's probably already had to fight this battle. And many times <laughs> it's it's the back uh, panel wood panel is held in with drywall screws i mean just about every game true and but what you even if it's not even if it's still held in with a conventional lock um drill that one out you can take the back door off then you can re you can go (laughs) kind of reach in through the game and unscrew the um uh the the you can you can get to the back side (laughs) of the lock and and disengage that part I'm of it. I'm sorry. I'm having a moment here because <laughs> I'm having this. I'm having this vision that you've drilled through this beautiful lock on your back door, and then you take off the back door, and you see through the other side of the cabinet is the keys to the back door hanging from <laughs> the coin door. <laughs> so yeah, either either way, these are not difficult to drill out. They're made with fairly soft metals. Now, on the other hand, if you have the, the cylindrical, cylindrical locks, locks, oh, and the, oh, they, those uh, are a different story. And I have gotten through those with drill bits, but they are they're like made with a different metal. I they're suppose. hardened metal. They're designed for security. They're designed exactly to prevent you from doing from what we're talking doing about what doing. We're talking about. 
um, which, you know, out in the field, I can't, I can't imagine in the eighties because cordless drills weren't really a thing back then. Now, like (laughs) people would be able to get into these things. No problem. Uh, but then they invented the hasp and that's exactly why they did. Um, so yeah, they're they're relatively easy to get into in general. Now here's uh, here's a bit of a side note. I have I've, I've drilled through so many locks, you know, o- over the years, and it's you know just just as we describe, you know, no no problems. It's quick quick and easy. But what the I had some mega touches I had to get into, hmm. and mm-hmm. the when you drill through it, you're gonna leave some. You're gonna have some metal shavings on the inside. Not much. Oh, but, but that's okay. The boards will work just fine. It's, <laughs> they just look a little sparkly. So if you ever especially have, when you power them on. So if you ever have a uh, mega touch <laughs> machine, make sure you uh, get rid of all those metal shavings on the inside. I'm not saying that I had one that you know I left some shavings in it and it and it uh, you know fried uh, one of the boards. But I don't know. Maybe it happened. I can't remember. It was. Uh, it was it was blaming it blaming on the security key for the mega touch. Just say it went bad. Oh, oh, I don't even want to talk about those things. <laughs> All right, we got this next question is from Philip. I have a sound issue, but I'm unable to determine what the problem is. I have a Street Fighter II Turbo in a Dynamo cabinet that will only play some of the sounds during a fight. It plays some instruments in the background, uh, music and some sound effects, but not all of them. No Hadouken sound. Uh, I'm guessing What's that's one that? of the characters. Or death sound. Um, what exactly is a... Can you, Chris, can you give me a death sound? <sighs> <laughs> or wait, or... Oh, you want something dramatic. You didn't say dramatic death uh, sound. Chris, can you give me a dramatic death sound? <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> So, where was I? Sometimes it will play the intro theme, but not all the instruments. And sometimes it won't play anything at all. It's obviously not a speaker or wiring issue. Do you have any ideas what else it could be? All right. Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Common game. Street, you know, There's all these variants of Street Fighter 2, but Street Fighter was a very common game. Dynamo cabinet. Very common cabinet. So... There's there's no compatibility problem between these two. There's there should be no reason why you you know you should be able to put this particular uh, game board in that cabinet and not have any problems. So after doing a little research on the game board itself, the Street Fighter II uh, game board, what I found is in the setup menu there is a uh, sound setting. For you can set it for stereo or mono with this the stereo being this Q sound specifically meant for Capcom cabinets and pulling up the uh, some information on this game board it is a JAMA uh, game board JAMA harness on it uh, but it also has a left and right output uh, separate from the JAMA harness now a JAMA harness is meant for just uh, it's just one output. Well, you can have you could you could have two speakers, but you're still only going to have one output from the game board itself. You could have two speakers in series or parallel, but just just one output. So, so this so point being that this game board you've got two options. You can use this uh, separate left and right output uh, for a left and right speaker, or you can use the JAMA mono output. Now, what I think is going on with this one 
is the sound setting is probably set on the Q sound stereo stereo sound or Q sound they call it uh and it should be changed over to mono and that that will likely kind of you know it'll combine the sounds so we're pro- that's probably why we're missing half the sounds there you're only getting like the right channel or only the left channel uh, oh that's a good catch so try that out it's in the system configuration just there's a a setting in there just simply called sound hmm so change good that answer. to change that to mono and and let us know how that does all right, let's see. Is it my turn? I guess it's my turn to, to read. This is from your, would you, how would you say that? Yoram? Yoram. Yoram. Hi there. I just wired an ATX power supply to the marquee for my multicade. Now, the weird thing is, I get a bit of distortion on the screen. The image is a little shaky when wired, almost like I'm getting some slight interference. However, when I plug the ATX power supply directly into an outlet, the image is fine. I check the voltage. You know, voltage is good, et cetera, et cetera. So, what he's what he's saying is is input for his is an ATX power supply is your conventional computer style power supply, but your input, your line input, he first he he's attached, uh, he's tied in to the marquee, the 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 power mm-hmm. for the um, the bulb for the marquee. And that's when he's getting the interference. Hmm. What do you what do you think about that? It's very interesting. So the way I um, usually see an arcade cabinet wired is you have the the power cord going into the cabinet, which gets terminated at uh, you know the 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 interlock, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes into an EMI filter, and those two can be interchangeable as well. And then it passes on into things from the other side of the EMI filter into things like the, the marquee light and the power supply and the rest of the game power the monitor power. Um, so if you are plugging the power supply, the ATX power supply into an, a regular outlet and it doesn't interfere, but you're plugging it into uh, essentially where everything else is on the other side of the EMI filter and getting this interference, the obvious solution would be to... Uh, wire the ATX power supply into the power on the primary side or the uh, the AC power core, the input side of the EMI filter. Um, the other alternative is that you can look for a different ATX power supply that might have right. a little more quality. Right. Uh, it, it might just be something where whatever um and, and and i'm sure that we can touch on this when you do your segment on on Switch switching power, power supplies next show um on how they work and why they might interfere with things like uh monitor and and those kinds of timings but um and yeah. also this is something i thought of as you were as you were saying that but these emi filters or electromagnetic interference filters yes. uh they're generic you could actually put your own your own separate EMI filter in front of, you know, before the, uh, the ATX power supply, Absolutely. if you wanted sure. additional mm-hmm. filtering for it, uh, they're, they're inexpensive. They're all, they, you know, it's just 120 volts in 120 volts out. Uh, you can ground the, um, the case of it if you so desire. Absolutely. I don't yeah. think you know, that's not necessary, yeah. but you could, you could do that. Um, Okay, I think that's awesome. enough info on that. Whose turn is it? All right. Uh, I think I can read this one. You read the last one. This one's from Austin. Yes. 
<laughs> that was very definite. <laughs> from Austin. Yes, <laughs> I have a Sega Daytona USA, and I'm looking for some clarification on what is considered out of spec for the voltage check. The closest I could adjust the power supply was 12.5 volts and 4.98 volts, but I'm not sure if this means that the power supply is bad or not. What do you think? Thanks. Okay, so you've got your various DC voltage the voltages that your game requires. You, you're always going to have a, a five volts, and then oftentimes you're going to have twelve. Well, always you're going to have twelve volts. Sometimes you're going to need negative five. Sometimes you're going to mm-hmm. need negative twelve. Mm-hmm. Five volts. That's your important one. That's your all your game logic, your processor, your RAM, your all your logic chips. That's the that's the important one. So let's talk about that one for a moment. So he said four point nine eight. That's fine if you're measuring that at the board itself. Um, I, I, you know, I think we um, touched on this previously. I think we, you and I, each talked about what mm-hmm. I aim for. I like to get about five point one volts, five point one zero volts on the board itself. Five, 4.98, 5 volts is fine. Four point nine eight is fine if you're getting it at the board. I actually like to take my voltmeter and probe some of the logic chips to make sure at the chips, at the processor and at some of the chips, uh, that's what I'm getting. Uh, If you've got a short somewhere in the board, sometimes you can see uh, in one area of the board, it may be higher than the other. That's kind of an extreme case, but it's, it's still possible for it to vary on the board. But as long as you're getting that on the board, the, as far as um, uh, logic chips go, the lowest that they can operate is 4.75. You don't want to get close to that. You don't, that's, that's just the, you know, that's the threshold of it. You don't want to see anything less than 4.9 yeah. anywhere. And I'm, I have seen systems get, get down close to the 4-volt area. And still think, work. And still work, believe it or not. <laughs> when I was dealing with my power supply issue on my Tempest, because uh, that was a sort of secondary thing that I hadn't talked about yet, where um, you'd power the machine on, and it would be a nice rock-solid 5 volts, and then you'd start seeing it drift Drip down. On, drop off. And it was drifting down, and it finally drifted down to like 3.75 oh, volts. Oh, wow. It was still functioning fine. How about all the way that? until about 4, 4.1. It's, it's, when, when we say 4.7 volts, that's where things start getting unreliable. Right, right. Um, so it, it's possible to still kind of work lower, but over the long haul, it's not going to be right. a good thing. So the other, the other voltages, like your 12 volts, your negative, those are, those, uh, those voltages are part of other circuits in usually like audio amplification mm-hmm. for your speakers. Sometimes you'll have some, um, uh, op amps for your, some amplifiers for your video Things of that nature. They're not crit- They're not going to be critical for the game to operate. You're going to see some peripheral problems with that, but it's not going to impede the yeah. operation, the the raw operation of the game. So right. the, the five volts is the uh, is the important one. Yeah, measured at the yeah. game board, not at the power supply. The voltage adjustment should be based on the five volt supply, not the twelve volt supply. And um, Chris mentioned his Tempest. Tempest uh, or the Atari games use these. Uh, AR boards, AR and AR2 boards, uh, and they have a voltage sense that goes back to the... That's something we probably want to talk about sometime, how that how sure. that operates. Um, a lot, but, that's a deep philosophical And, you know, there's, there are opposing viewpoints on Definitely. whether you should bypass that, and uh, I'll 
give my view on that. You can give yours, and and we're right. Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> no, of I, course but not. But I have a very logical reason why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, on to, to the next continuous. one. This is from the past tense. That's a that's a cool name, right? A cool username. Well, the apparently it was. <laughs> oh, ah, I see what you did there. Oh. <laughs> I picked up an old 1981 Rockola Armor Attack cocktail cabinet that I'm trying to open up. The latch on the right comes off easily, but I can't seem to find the left latch. This is obscured by metal housing, or it's in a different place. Any ideas of where this? Could be and and he's he said Rockola Armor Attack the cocktail versions of these were licensed. This is Cinematronics Armor Attack, but mm-hmm. the cocktails mm-hmm. would uh, they were they were licensed and made by. Uh, I, didn't, I thought it was uh, somebody else other than Rockola, but anyway, I digress. I always thought that Rockola being in the video came. Didn't, and they, game business was weird. Yeah, they uh, made uh, they made Nibbler, didn't they? They did make Nibbler. They made a few yeah. few others. I think Nibbler was the only one that really caught on. Warp Warp was that Rockola? I don't know. Rockola? But anyway, so <laughs> so um, if this was 1981, I would be scratching my head uh, and looking for the game manual. And oddly enough, I went off and looked for the game manual for the cocktail version of this and could not find it anywhere on the web. The only manual that's out there that I could find in my brief period of searching was for the upright. So it finally occurs to me that we have a beautiful tool available to us today that we did not have in the 80s, or at least I should say many people have access to this tool. And it is not necessarily in your toolbox. It's probably in your pocket right now. Or you might actually be listening to us on that very same tool. And that's a mobile phone that has a camera. Um, you have the ability to take your your iPhone or your well, there's only iPhones in my world. So there's your <laughs> iPhone, <laughs> so your mobile phone, and, and start recording video, and you can sort of go into your cabinet and be able to see inside of it where you would not necessarily want to put your head in a closed cabinet, right? Uh, especially it's, a cocktail. It, yeah, if you're new to this, it's a little scary sticking your hand up in something. You know, you think of monitors and the high voltage and Absolutely. being careful. And, uh, yes. you know, we talked about this briefly beforehand. I, you know, it's been my experience that every cabinet, you know, if it's a new, unfamiliar cabinet, it always seems to be symmetrical. If there's a latch on the right-hand side, there's, you know, there's always seems to be one on the yes. left-hand side. And despite the fact that it is symmetrical, uh, I still recall as a young as a young child back in the day, um, working for an arcade op, um, putting my hand into one of the Midway cocktails and still feeling some metal something or other in there that I didn't think was right. Who knows if it was high voltage or not. <laughs> and so it would always freak me out to do that. Um, but yeah, you, you use your phone. You, it, it's, you know, just kind of point it around and look around and scan the inside of your cabinet and see if you can see it. Um, you know, maybe it's not even there and you think it is and you're looking for it and it's it's just that the top of the cabinet is stuck. Right. Or or something. So um so yeah, that's that's what I would recommend doing. And some you know, those latches, those little springy latches, mm-hmm. sometimes they will release but the hook part is still on the catch on the t- so even though it's yeah. released it will still be good point be on that. Great point. Um All right. Well, send us an email. Let us know how this goes. Um, anyway, next question. 
We ready for that? Uh, I guess it's your turn to read, right? It's my turn. This one's from Jur. Or is that JR? <laughs> uh, hi there. Until yesterday, I had a classic Miss Pac-Man cocktail cabinet with a beautiful, bright CRT. I opened up the coin door while it was powered up. Usually, the monitor would warm right back up. So I assume that means you'd open the co- the coin door, the inner lock would turn power off the right. whole machine. You'd close the door and everything would come back up and it would go through its self-test. Uh, so usually the monitor would warm right back up where the coin door was closed, but instead I have a black screen with very fine white static lines. There's also no sound of the game as well. I'm assuming I need to replace the G07 chassis, but I was wondering if it could be a power supply issue. I visually checked all the fuses, and they seem to be fine. What do you think? Well, I want to make several points about this. First of all, I don't think that he has a problem with the monitor because he um uh you know no sounds that's uh, did he that's he said that in there somewhere right yeah there are no, no game sounds. sounds as well you mm-hmm. know so we don't have the whole playing blind thing um so don't jump to the conclusion that you need uh to replace you know he's talking about just the chassis uh of the geo7 monitor uh so yeah uh, could it be a power supply issue yes that is where i would start uh so the uh, midway cocktail uh, Captain, you know, you've got your, uh, this was a Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, check your power mm-hmm. supply first. I visually checked all fuses. Okay, let's talk about that one for a minute. Visually mm-hmm. checking fuses is no good. So what I talked about earlier, if, if you're going to be repairing your own games, you've got a meter, right? You, you've already got it in your possession. That's your, that's your go-to tool for everything. Take the fuses out of the game, well, one by one. Take, take the fuse out. And check it with your continuity check mm-hmm. on your on your meter. Uh, do that first, uh, and then you know once you know that they're all good, then start checking your voltages uh, voltages for the game. Uh, did we have some additional notes on this one? Monitor. Okay, so one thing I don't think we have this in our, our notes for it, but monitor. Typically, if you have glow on the neck. The monitor is is probably functioning properly, um, you know, or at least mm-hmm. powering on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's uh, depending on the depending on the monitor. Uh, many times the that little neck glow is coming from the heater for the uh, from the CRT, and oftentimes that voltage for the heater comes off of the flyback. Uh, mm-hmm. as just a small winding on the flyback. And that's, that's good because that, if the flyback is working, that usually means a whole lot of the other circuitry in the monitor is working. So yes. that net glow is, is a very good indicator that things are likely okay on that monitor. Mm-hmm. So, yes, start with checking voltages. Then, then you go to, if all the voltages are good, you know, reseat your edge connector on the game board, uh, push in on the, all the socketed chips, all that, but that's 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 the path you take on this one. Anything to add? No, that's a dead on. I think that's, <laughs> that's right on. All right. Our next one is from Mark. Hi, I have a very old Combat Tribes arcade game. And I didn't know. Did you know that title? I did not know that title. I didn't know that title. Uh, he has a Combat Tribes arcade game. When I plugged it in, it blew the house fuse. <laughs> oh. <Ooh. laughs> 
I replaced the power cable, switch, and fuse, and turned it on. The game music now starts, but the monitor doesn't switch on. I've tested the power cable to the video card, and all is good. Uh, the 120 volts is good. The, pa- the monitor cable is good. So he's turning it on. No video, no monitor. But this, after he uh, replaced the, you know, replaced the fuse, fuse holder, power cable, mm-hmm. reset his uh, breaker in his yes. house. Uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you think about this one? Well, I've seen it happen before, um, where it, the monitor is it can be, especially if, if something goes wrong um, um, with the the horizontal output transistor or something that deals with the higher power uh, bits of the monitor. If something shorts out and kind of locks that up, it's going to blow the fuse on the monitor. But I've also seen it simultaneously break take out you know a housebreaker while it's blowing that monitor uh, fuse. So I would actually start looking to the monitor chassis. It should be fairly obvious uh, any of the fuses that are on the on the chassis uh, probably will be very visually blackened right. uh, by such an event. And if that's the case, if if the if the fuse is black, simply replacing it is just going to create another. It's just going to blow again, right? Uh, fuses that blow in that fashion, there's something wrong on the board. Uh, if it was just simply where the wire had opened up and it was, you know, minor, you might try another fuse. But um, this is where you need to to pull the monitor out and actually look at uh, either it could be anything from the horizontal output transistors to the rectifier diodes for the power mm-hmm. supply to the flyback. Flyback. To, those those uh, three that you things. just said are, are the the common ones for yes. a monitor that would cause the fuse. And I think I, all the monitors I've seen that that. Usually, you know, all the monitors I've seen have only one fuse, so that should be pretty mm-hmm. pretty straightforward mm-hmm. finding yes. finding the fuse for it. But okay. right, if the fuse blows, there's a reason why it it blows. Right. Uh, excellent. Interesting. All right. This next one is from Jesse. Howdy. Jesse must be from Texas. Howdy, right? Jesse. I'm restoring a. Galaga. Another Galaga. Another Galaga. We're just all over the place this month. <laughs> and when I got to the old power supply, uh, was in place but had been converted to use a switching power supply. To simplify things, I decided to remove the old power supply PC board and transformer following arcade shop's instructions. Uh, things are going well, but I noticed last night that I'm getting continuity on both AC outputs of the remaining isolation transformer. Is this normal or do I have a short somewhere? Hmm. Mm. That's, that's, okay. That, so remaining, that's iso- remaining isolation transformer. So these midway uh, cabinets, you know, with these, we talked about this earlier mm-hmm. with two transformers, one of your, one transformer, the larger one is going to be supplying all of your voltages uh, to your for your power for your linear power supply, and then you have this separate, usually smaller train. I think they're always smaller. The isolation transformer is spe- uh, 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 just for the monitor. Mm-hmm. So he took out his he replaced his uh, his power supply section with a new switching power supply. So he no longer needed the larger transformer. So he just removed it to. Clean everything up. Why not? Save on the weight. Save the weight, right? And uh, you leave the isolation transformer in place for the monitor. Everything's working properly, but he takes his voltmeter and puts it on resistance or continuity 
and sees that the output of the isolation transformer, hopefully he's got the game unplugged when he does this, yeah. um, is shorted out. Yes, that is, uh, that's, that's, that is correct. That is good. Mm-hmm. Um, your transformer is just a big coil. It's just a, a wire wrapped around and, and just one solid length of wire on the, on the input side, also called the primary side, and the output side, uh, the secondary side. Um, so yes, it's going to be a direct short. I mean, if you put it on resistance, you may get, you know, 10 ohms or something. I was going to say a good, a good, um, uh, way to test or the truth table for testing an isolation transformer is that you can attach one lead of your multimeter to one terminal of the transformer and you should only see continuity on one other terminal. Yes. Um, so if you're getting continuity on two or more terminals, then something is wrong. And I would say this is really, you really need to do that test with the transformer not connected to anything. Completely well, theoretically, disconnected. If you, if you have the cord unplugged from the wall, that's, that test should still be good. I can't think of a reason why that test wouldn't work. I agree. Yeah, so, but, but on the, if, you're, if you're testing it on the both terminals on the input side or the output, output side, yes, you will get continuity on that. That is, that is all, all correct. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say if you if you have the the game powered on and the the monitor is working and the game is powered up, then uh, I would not call that a short. I would call that functional. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next what question is from Chico, or is that Chicho? Chico? Well, Chico? Chicho? I don't know. This is where you get the dramatic reading of it's Chico. The <laughs> H is silent. <laughs> I found an arcade with no monitor. Can I use a regular TV in it instead? Hmm. Well, you can, but it's not going to look good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to pick up bad reruns over the air. Really, really bad. Um, yeah, I, oh, Chris, this, you do go on. And, and I do too much, too. Uh, you know, I, I would say um, if you don't have access to an arcade monitor, again, Go ahead and pick up a, a you know an, an LCD screen and then use a, a, a converter board that you can pick right. up on eBay for forty bucks. Right, uh, you're going to get a better looking product at the end of the day. Uh, otherwise, converting a TV, yeah, not so great. Right, not with the results. You know, I th- I, I think uh, I thought of an exception to this. Hmm. What about computer space? Maybe maybe Chicho has computer well, space. You know, okay, so in those particular. In that in that particular case, and actually in the case of Pong, <laughs> is Pong several, of, of, uh, it's Pong, as well. Pong was a standard TV tuner yeah. screen that they that they did go in and actually they they tapped literally into took a, a TV an off the shelf TV yes and, and a black and white TV strapped and it down s- into mm-hmm. the cabinet and tapped into certain key areas of the black and white TV where they could inject video signals. Right. So if you ever buy a $5,000 plus computer space, you will see there <laughs> <laughs> it's a TV. It's just a plain old black and white TV. But that was in the good old days when black I mean black and white TVs they actually probably have better bandwidth and better resolution than color TVs. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Our next question is from Andrea Hi, can you help me to identify this board? I believe it's a Pac-Man board. Do you know the pinout or any tricks to repair? Thank you. And now we need to go back into visual radio. (laughs) 
And um, I'm looking at this board right off the bat. No, it does not look like a Pac-Man board. At least not. At least not a Midway. No, could, Midway. Perhaps Pac-Man a bootleg, board. but not a. And and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man were the same same board. They just uh, you know different. Different robs for the right. Miss Pac-Man. Little little now, daughter card, some additional circuitry. But this board looks like it is either destroyed, corroded. It's it doesn't look complete. Right. Um, and no, I've I've even run this now, through Google Image Search. Right. And, and, not find and you know how how well are we going to be able to describe this board through <laughs> uh, through audio? Not very well. Uh, so if you have something like yeah. this. You know, KLOV is a, you know, I always say KLOV. Everybody says KLOV. KLOV. KLOV or KLOV or whatever. I'm going to continue to say KLOV. So, you know, that's, (laughs) but (laughs) if you, if you, uh, put a thread in there to asking to, you see this all the time. Can you identify this PC board for me? Can you identify this cabinet for me? Yes. And people love, be they the first them. to to answer that. It's a so, contest to figure out right. who knows what. Who board knows this is. the most about that? And yes. more power to you guys who do that. That's. <laughs> but I'm 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 telling you I'm looking at this this board and I would I would think twice uh, unless you know it's a gem, and you want to restore it and do some extensive PC board repair. Uh, but you this, know that this is a donor board. That decision can be made once they find out what board it is it may be something it may, you know it's uh key to your understanding if this is a collectible board is if you start getting offers on klov right oh that's <laughs> that's uh that's nothing that's uh nothing. i'll give I'll you 100 bucks it. for it yeah yeah <laughs> bouncer what's that one called <laughs> <clears throat> okay All now right. we have uh we need to jump to our other list uh and we, this we, is we got an email from our listener <laughs> <laughs> so we get our questions that come in through various sources, and this was one of our uh, uh, questions from our new email address. Once That's again, that address is what, Chris? Podcast at ArcadeRepairTips.com. This is a long one. We're going to have to break this up into sections, right? Do you want sure. to start you want me or to lead? I start? All right, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Eric and Chris, who are they? Oh, yeah, that's us. Uh, first, thank you for keeping the Q&A podcast going. It was out of the ho- I was out of the hobby for about eight years and got back into it about a year ago. Since then, I've listened to nearly every ART podcast, watched countless John's arcade videos. Hey, guys, we're in the basement. <laughs> Broken token. I'm, oh, I'm I want actually- to pause there. Broken Token. Uh, I love that podcast. I actually am. Really uh, Brent and to Whitney. It. They're uh, uh, they're out of uh, Kentucky and do. They've been doing their podcast for a while, and I really like their their podcast. It's a nice relax. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, good a laid back. It's it's great. They're they're tend to be a little bit lengthy, but uh, that that's good if you're on a if you're on a long Wait, trip. They tend to be lengthy. We uh, where are we? Us? Two hours and fifty. No, we're good. We're, oh, we're still we're good. nowhere close that's to true. those guys. I think their last show was three hours. Oh, three and a half hours. Yeah. Well, I, they had uh, we were coming back from Florida and they had a six hour one that. Uh, <laughs> Did you? Are you saying you drove all the way from Florida to Texas and didn't? quite finished their podcast no i finished it (laughs) (laughs) but anyway give those guys if you haven't listened to them before you listen to the broken token podcast listen to uh brent and whitney they're another great resource for sure 
uh, and he's also so so uh, Eric. Uh, he's going on with uh, he searched Kalov, <laughs> Kalovy, uh, Kalovy, <laughs> watched Adams one circuit videos, etc. The Q and A podcast remains in my top three list. Oh, top three? Oh, Just gonna, the are- top three? Really, Chris? Just the top three? <laughs> oh, come on. Should we even continue? Okay, we will. All right. In particular, I've appreciated the more in-depth discussions about technical issues and topics. For example, the, the Ram Chips discussion in The Tempest. Oh, you mean like, and in this episode, too. <laughs> hey, it challenges me more to listen and understand. I learn something new every time I listen to the podcast. While I certainly miss Tim and Jonathan... I like the contrast you bring to the show, and we'll continue to watch them in their video series. Well, first of all, thank you, Chris. Not no, you, thank Chris. you. Oh, <laughs> yes, thank you, Chris. Much appreciated. Okay, so let's go. Let's go into his question. So, yes. we're all of these questions are going to be revolving around an Omega Race cabaret. I didn't catch earlier that when I was reading these, I didn't realize it's a cabaret versus a, a conventional one. Uh, so he picked up a, an Omega race a few months ago. It's uh, it's working. It's it's functional. It's booting, but it has a few issues. Um, so I guess we'll just go in order here with the first one. Question one. Mm-hmm. Shaky monitor issue. As you can see in the attached video, Chris, you didn't attach the video for us. So Not me, Chris. That not, Chris. Not, yeah. Chris, whose last name I'm not going to use, uh, you did. It, we didn't get the attached video, uh, so we're going to have to kind of guess it at how that looked. But uh, but nonetheless, the monitor it says the monitor image is a little shaky. When the game is st- while the game is still playable, it's distracting. My fir- distracting. Uh, my first inclination was to install a cap kit. However, I read the following from the black and white vector monitor. Uh, frequently asked questions document. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Uh, which caused me to wonder if a cap kit would do any good. So, what do you think about that cap kit on a vector? A not only a vector monitor, but a black and white vector monitor. Well, um, you know the way the vector monitors work. If it were a necessarily a cap problem, uh, I don't think it exhibits as a as a as a shaking. Um, just based on how the power supplies work and, and everything it, it, issues with, with power supply ripple tend to be symmetrical and wouldn't necessarily be shaking. Um, depending on how your video looks that we can't see it's that we can't see. So I'm kind of guessing off the top of my head. If, if what I've seen in the past is if the ground wire for the signal is somehow doesn't have continuity to the monitor, then that would cause the X, Y, signals to kind of float and play off of each other that might um cause things to be shaky so always check grounds well chris do you think he should do the cap kit anyway absolutely absolutely on on a on a, on a keeper game like an omega race and a cabaret no less that's mm-hmm. pretty rare even though the interesting uh just kind of tangent the the manual for the omega race shows what four or five different cabinet styles really so it's- i know they had the cockpit Oh, I guess so. So you've got a, a cocktail, cocktail, cockpit, cockpit, cabaret, cabaret conventional. Is there a fifth? I thought there was a fifth. Yeah. Environmental. I have to go back and look. Uh, <laughs> yes. What? No, I don't know. I'm just guessing <laughs> off the top of my head. But 
No, I seem to remember five. Moppet so, version? Well, but still, five, four, even four cabinet four styles. Cabinets, that's, that's pretty impressive for a single video game that was back in the heyday when, when you know, they could contemplate all of those different form factors. Right. Yeah. So do the cap kit anyway, and you do have a separate, you've got a power supply section in your monitor. <laughs> Theoretically, you could have some ripple coming in, um, in as part of your power supply in the monitor. So do it anyway. It, it could resolve some of your, you know, some of your issues. Also, um, you know, just your, your, the capacitors in the power supply section as well, because you could always be introducing some, some problem, you know, the, the input to the monitor there could be problems coming there and you know from uh like the the last stages of the video output of the game board you're going to have some amplifiers in that some uh you know what they call op amps operational amplifiers mm-hmm. if you got bad if you got you know poorly conditioned voltage there you could you could get some problems there so yes mm-hmm. so cap you know new capacitor new electrolytic capacitors are always good you want to do that regardless i have a feeling we're going to talk about replacing even more components in the upcoming parts of the question <laughs> oh yeah that's right <laughs> uh, because no no I, as what we talked about with my my last tempest project you know pretty much standard when I'm doing a, a, a machine like that is not only cap kit, but for XY monitors is replacing things like the deflection transistors, yes. which I think, I think is, that was one of the questions is right? question number three. So I'm jumping ahead slightly. So yeah, um, look for a, ha- a, how about I pose question number three to you, Chris? Okay. Should I replace the deflection transistors on the chassis? So even yes. though, even though the game is working, should he replace them? Yes. Yes, um, if if any of the deflection transistors aren't fully up to snuff, it might work for a little bit, but they start working against each other, and then pretty soon something fails. So. And and that's what I do with all you know. And with vector monitors, usually like a um, now this is a black and white one, but the color vector monitors used. I mean, I don't know how many cap kits I've done on a Wells sixty one hundred. Like mm-hmm. what's in your Tempest over here? Yeah, and the kit comes with six transistors. They're they're um, uh, TO3 package, what they call the bottle cap style yes. transistors. A tr- piece of trivia, you know what TO stands for? Transistor outline? Yeah, you got yes. it. Um, <laughs> and you know, you're, you basically, you're in that kit, you have um, four deflection transistors, and two of them are, used, they are actually used for the power supply. But that's, that's that uh, chassis. But yes. any vector monitor that you're going to do a cap kit... Replay, go ahead and replace the deflection transistors. They're now thirty plus years old. Just, just do it. You know, they're. It's hard to believe. So, if Omega Race was what eighty, late seventies, I would guess seventy nine. Omega Race was seventy nine. I would. Well, it's black and white. Uh, maybe eighty. Eighty. Um, so you think about thirty seven years old. Yeah. If it's eighty one, then thirty six. But still, holy. Cow. Well, you know, uh, uh, talk slowly because I'm going to look this up uh, as we're as we're talking. Uh, <laughs> All right, eighty one, yes. eighty one, nineteen eighty one. So those things are thirty six years old if they're the original caps in there. It's yeah. amazing that it's working at all if it is. Um, so yeah, so it, the the more complete a cap kit that you can find for that particular monitor, I highly recommend sourcing that and. Uh, Okay. And, and jumping around to question four, I believe you specifically mentioned uh, Ian Kellogg 
I know that he, so he, he, he's mentioning in question four, should I just read question four and then sure. we can get into this person and how awesome their products are? Uh, question four, topic, the audio isn't always quite right. I've noticed the sound isn't quite right. Certain sounds either don't play or sound uh, off. Uh, I ordered an Omega Race audio PC board cap kit from Ian Kellogg, assuming this would be a good place to start. Is this what you would do or should I try something else first? Short answer, yes. Yes. And that's awesome that he has, he's making a kit just for the audio, uh, audio section of the, of that. So, and his kits, and I, you know, I have, I've seen his kits. I, I don't think I've personally ordered from him yet, but up at the game preserve, they, I think they're getting all of their cap kits from him. So I've, I've put, you know, and st- put some of the, yeah. his kits in, mm-hmm. and I think they're all. I think they're it's good quality caps. I think they're all 105 degree right. uh, caps. You and, know, and in many instances, like specifically surrounding this, the 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 Tempest XY monitor, mm-hmm. they're a bit more complete than the other kits that I was able to ah. find out on the internet. So, who is this Ian Kellogg besides providing great cornflakes? Cornflakes. I don't know, but he <laughs> he sure does have good cap kits, and all the parts are. Uh, are, are nicely labeled and laid out so you don't have to pour through a, a bag of loose components mm-hmm. trying to figure out what... Spend five minutes what, uh, separating all the caps. Yes. And, well, well, it's even more important on some of the diodes. You can't really read the numbers on the diodes, but there they are right on the, uh, on the, the part number strips. So, awesome. Um, yeah. There's that. I think there's still a question on... This part, we're, we apologize, Chris. We're jumping all over your question here. Um, there was a question about... Um, so he said the audio isn't quite right. The audio and wasn't quite right. So we right. pulled up the schematic for it. And one thing that's kind of notable about Omega Race uh, is that it's actually a stereo game. It has separate left and right audio. And it is not the same content uh coming you know from from uh, uh for you know being going to each speaker yeah. now this game some games of this era were you know had analog sections so uh like we we were talking before we were recording we were talking about Sega games how they would have discrete they would have a soundboard and every individual sound was a uh an analog circuit and you know mm-hmm. that uh, well, Galaga, when the ship blows up, that's an analog sound. That's part right. of the circuit. Donkey Kong has certain, you know, they get. But this right. Omega Race is is not that way. When looking at the schematic, it's all computer generated. Yeah. Uh, but it is stereo, so um, it's entirely possible that you are just simply missing one channel of your audio. So, you know, do the, do the simple part first. Listen to, you know, you've got your two speakers. See if sound is coming out of both of them. It could be something as simple as the amplifier. It is two separate amplifiers. So you could have a, you know, one of your amplifiers could be bad and you're just only getting half of your or worse, sound. Or worse yet. Whoever owned the machine before you had a blown amp, and they decided, ah, screw it, I'll just connect I'll tie the speakers I'll together. Connect both speakers together. Right. So, so definitely, you know, check from check from uh, from the source going into the amplifier. Just kind of like touch the input of the amplifier. If you get a buzz out of a speaker right. on both channels, then you're probably probably okay. But that's where to start. If it's not that, it's going to get a bit more complicated because you're going through some uh, digital to analog converters and some other things before that. It does get a bit complex. Um, if you're, if you, if you're, 
if you have an oscilloscope, you can probe around at the uh, circuitry before the amplifier, see that you're getting uh, an audio signal there. But, you know, just check to make sure that both left and right sides uh, are working. Because that would definitely uh, give you that problem where you're getting some sounds but not all. Things will just sound a little bit off. The, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about the how you kind of the music is kind of has harmony. You won't get right, that. Right. Um, okay, I think we need to go now back to back to question one. Believe it or not, is it? Oh, it's like a secondary part of yeah. question one. <laughs> um, okay, so he is referencing a section of of these of uh, this vector monitor. Uh, uh, frequently asked questions document uh, page thirty six of it. Syst- system seven symptom seventeen. Video information is distorted. Da, da, da. He's basically showing what he found in this manual. He's talking about the ninety volt uh, power supply being supplied from the EHT unit. EHT unit is synonymous with the high voltage uh, power supply, um, and you may that it may you may need to adjust the. R905 regular. Okay, so I'm just spitting out a bunch of uh, numbers and, and such, but basically what he's talking about here is this is one of the supply rails, I, and I guess this is probably the B-plus supply for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the monitor, but he's talking specifically about the 90-volt section or the 90-volt rail that comes out of the high-voltage section. How would I adjust R905? Uh, and we pulled up the schematic for it, and what was that? connector number it was so on the eht unit itself um on plug 900 there it looks to be an eight pin connector possibly um so you can put your positive lead on pin five and your negative lead should go to the chassis ground and that's where you'll measure your 90 volts uh if if you're not reading 90 volts then you were asking about adjusting specifically the regulator control, which is R905, and that'll be on the EHT unit, and you can uh, adjust that that uh, adjustment pot there until you reach the 90-volt mark right. from your meter. Right, and that should, that should be a you know, uh, pretty simple process. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you do have to do this with the game on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes it's a little scary digging your hands into a live monitor chassis, but yes. you, you've, you've got to get over that. you got to, you know, don't <laughs> – you're the, the anode wire is – it's well insulated. You, you know, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, and now to question two, which is now going to uh, – which is the last question. Ah. Cap kit to purchase – uh, the cabaret has a 13-inch monitor. He thinks it's the same chassis in the night as the 19V2000. And I, you know, some of those 13s and 19s are the same chassis. I can't say for sure on this one. Um, I want to say, but, by and large, most of them are going to be the same. What's going to change between a 13 and a 19-inch is going to be the flyback. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be some other smaller components that that are involved in changes, and really. Uh, again, Chris is mentioning that he's going to Ian Kellogg. If Ian Kellogg doesn't sell a particular cap kit, you can reach out to him directly, and they will research yeah. a and, and put together a right. custom cap kit for whatever it is you're you're looking for, uh, according to their website. So, um, yeah, reach out to them. They'll they'll know. Um, 
and can do that research. If you have any manuals for your 13-inch monitor, it might be helpful to just kind of do a quick comparison between the two schematics and seeing if, if you can identify any any major differences. Right, right. Excellent. Well, you know what that is? What is that? The last question. That was the last question. So I guess we're uh, I guess we're done for this month. We're done for this month. <laughs> wow! Anything we should mention before we sign off? Be, if you're at the the Texas Pinball Festival, be Come sure say and hi. say hi. Right. If there's anything, any subject you would uh, like us to go in depth on, as far as uh, uh, you know, like a, we like what Chris was doing with the uh, static RAM and the dynamic RAM, let us know. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, uh, to g- dig into that and. As we said before, send all your questions to podcast at arcaderepairtips.com. And I think that's it. And be sure to tell your friends about us so we have more listeners than, <laughs> than the five of you out there now. I'm, I'm sure we're up to five that's, now. Maybe, I don't know. We may have increased to six or seven by now. <gasps> oh, I'm excited. <laughs> all, right, all right. Until next time. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Arcade Repair Tips question and answer podcast. All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under podcast. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.